Everybody. Welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host, Scott Daly. Matt, I say hello to you and to all our listeners for the last time. Scott, this isn't the last episode. What? You, you put last on the script title. Yeah, that's the name of the arc there's like at least four more episodes after this plus probably an epilogue episode or two are you sure didn't you read the chapters we're supposed to read the chapters Ugh, this is the weekly podcast where matt and i definitely read the chapters in wildbo's world of creepy wind tight-fitting ships and aliens based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial this week we begin arc 20 last which may or may not be the last arc of ward we're talking about chapters 20.1 and 20.2. Breakthrough joins the rest of the capes for an all-out attack on the Seamurg and her machine army. Vicky's got her gun back and hears some creepy wind noises, and the attack goes exactly like you think it would. Badly. Then everyone piles into Daddy Defiant's ship as we have a wonderful chapter where all of our disparate characters have what could be their last interactions with each other before the end. Then Vicky calls up Bonesaw and asks her to go full Bonesaw once again. Matt. What do you think of these two chapters? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool because these are, you know, the first two chapters of a new arc, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, I think we have some reason to believe that this is the final arc. And so there's the, the typical um, sort of uh, table setting, I think is a word we've used before, essentially setting out what, what the ideas are going to be, um, what, what, what the character threads are going to be for this arc. Um, but also it's being done, I think, in a slightly different way than usual because this is the last arc or probably the last arc. Uh, it, it's it, it all has this feeling of of finality and and um, this is it to it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, that is it's it's been I mean, we had that finality like feeling for like the the entire time we had arc 19 going on. But that was always the. Like I don't I don't know how to describe what penultimate feels like, but Arc nineteen felt like penultimate, right? Like mm-hmm. how would you put to words what that feeling is like? It's like you're almost at the end, but you're not quite there yet. Um, that's what that whole arc felt like, and and these two chapters definitely feel like the last beginning, mm-hmm. if if you get what I mean. Yeah, it sort of it sort of feels like a lot of things are reaching their culmination, and uh, we we have narrowed we've narrowed down the possibilities to the point where we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know like just due to the fact that the world is ending, um, there's not, there's kind of a constrained set of options in terms of what can happen. Whereas if you're earlier in the story, there's a lot more um, optionality in terms of, well, it could go this way, could go that way. Um, And, and we're, we're still in, we're still in the middle of things. Whereas now it's like, no, um, a lot of things have been truncated. A lot of people have died. And we're we're heading toward some some ending or another. Yep. I mean, when you uh, when you're in the red zone, there are only a few plays that get you into the end zone. That's a football reference. 
Did you get it? I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> the point is you have a lot less options as you approach the end because the story does shrink down to just the remaining available options. And that is absolutely where we are. So yeah, totally. um, still, still definitely going to be some fun twists and turns as we go through those last moments. But uh, it does feel like we're at those last moments. I agree. Let's do some quick announcements. So uh, we got the, a bunch of them this week. It's yeah. a very, it's a very exciting time. Right. So the first, the first and the, and the shortest, I think, is that the fan art contest, uh, the the I think the eighth fan art contest, yes, uh, wraps uh, the the submission period wraps up um, March fourth, which is the day this episode is coming out. So yep. uh, if you're listening to this, the day it comes out, this is it. Uh, please submit, and then the voting will be held, and we look forward to uh, seeing everybody's artwork. Yeah, well, I think everyone that's submitting probably has already started, I hope. So I don't have to tell you where the rules are, but they are included in the uh, in the uh, show notes to this episode. So if you're curious about how to submit, um, that's where that is. Next announcement. Oh, my God. This is the most exciting one, Matt. Yes, this is very, very exciting. So as you know, for some time, our friends over on Deep Impact have been planning their all packed up 24 hour live stream um and and uh scott do you want to you want to announce the the big announcement oh you're gonna let me do it oh sure. that's so nice well uh this past week those guys announced something pretty huge it's something that we've known about for a while but we had to we had to keep it secret um but uh the the man himself Wildbow, will be guesting for an hour i believe it is an hour right yeah i should have looked this up for an hour on saturday on that deep impact um 24 hour live stream for uh just like an interview a chat about packed and about writing and about all that cool stuff um i i'm so excited for them i'm so excited to hear this um it's going to be such a good time and uh, i think we'll remind everyone that that this live stream is just a fun thing that they're doing to finish talking about the book but they're also going to be uh raising money for a charity for a i think it's a local homelessness charity in australia um so while you are tuning in on at twitch.tv slash uh slash doof media um Give give money, give money, help support this wonderful charity. Um, I think we are going to be making some announcements as far as that goes for us, because we are going to appear on the stream. Have we ever said that, Matt? We're going to be there. Yeah, we're going to be there for one segment. Is it a secret what we're going to be doing? We're going to be doing something fun. We're going to be playing. It's not a secret. It's on the schedule. The whole schedule's up. We'll put the schedule in the show notes here, but uh, we'll be playing some packed dice. I don't think it's technically packed dice. I think we're doing a little bit of a different. We'll be playing some some tabletop rpgs with, with them stuff that's going to be packed stuff yep and then i will actually be back saturday afternoon to do a, a round of maggie's madness which is uh <laughs> their version of our march's madness uh like character deciding bracket thing they're doing one for packed and i'm going to be there to help them with that for a half an hour um so it's going to be so much fun, guys. I, I am going to try to attend as much as I can. I'm not as crazy as those guys. I'm not going to stay up for 24 hours, but um, but I, I am very excited. I, I think those guys have been working so hard, and they're at the end. I think they released the last chapter today, so all they've got left is the epilogue episode, and then they're going to do a live recording. Are they doing a live recording of that? Or are they doing a live recording of like their final wrap-up episode? I honestly don't remember. I don't remember. But you can probably find out if you check the schedule, mm-hmm. which I will promise to remember to put in the show notes. Absolutely. I promise. I yes. promise. You'll, you'll be able to find it. And uh, we don't want anybody to miss this because it's going to be real fun it's, to be yeah. there in real time. I should have like 
no, because time zone stuff, me telling you what time Wild Bow is going to be on would do no good because time zones are weird. So check the schedule. We'll link it in the show notes. Find it. It, it says right there, word of God with Wild Bow. So it'll be there. Attend attend the whole thing, but yeah. obviously especially that part. Yeah, attend the whole 24-hour live stream. Don't yes. just leave it on overnight. <laughs> um, so speaking of your, your March Madness, Scott, uh, the voting for the 2020 March's Madness uh, is underway right now. I think the first bracket is, uh, you know, open. So it is. It is. There are 32 matchups going on this week, and that voting will be open until Sunday night at like, I think, five or six o'clock central time. Um, so head on over to doofmedia.com slash March Madness and put in your picks. If you are using Firefox, let me just make this note here. If you're using Firefox, it's some for, for some reason, it's real weird. So if you don't see any like like applets with radio buttons in them to vote something's going on with your firefox maybe uh get rid of uh, your no scripting program or just use another web browser sorry about that i don't know why it happens it's, it's weird you figure this company would get have this sorted by now because we had the same problem last year but uh they haven't so um sorry that that's difficult but uh that's gonna be fun and we are gonna make some of our picks at the end of the show matt we're gonna wrap up the show by making some of our own picks for round one it's gonna be fun Awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. All right, Scott, I think that's it. Let's get on into yeah. 20.1. So many announcements. I know. Let's talk about Ward. I'm let's, ready. Let's I'm do ready. It. So, so that's, so it's 20, it's arc 20 last. So, I mean, it's funny because it's entirely possible that this is a fake out and it's not actually the last arc, but <laughs> I just, I just kind of doubt it. Yeah, I'm, me too. I mean, it's fun to be like to think about Wildbo being a little cheeky with us on this arc name and and there will most likely be an epilogue arc after this so it's like it's not going to be the story is done and i think it'd be cool if the epilogue's called first that that's that's my first light the name of our epilogue would be pretty pretty fitting but i do think if we look back at arc 19 as we were talking about the start of the show it feels like the penultimate movement of the story we kind of throughout arc 19 check in with every member of breakthrough and we kind of resolve their arcs in one way or another rest in peace to my boy Tristan. Mm -hmm. um, but the one big arc that is kind of left unresolved are uh, Chris's specifically. And of course our protagonist Victoria's um, she's still got some final movements left to make in her story as well. And as we'll discuss later in this episode, I think a lot of the choices that Chris is going to end up making as we move to our conclusion are going to be uh, based around choices that I think Victoria is going to make. Like, I think it's going to be very fitting that Chris could be the key to all this and how Victoria interacts with Chris could be the key to a lot of this as well. Yeah, I think so. I think it's really interesting how uh, there was a lot of catharsis for Victoria in arc 19. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the cool thing about a story this complex and a character as complex as Victoria is that there's a lot going on with her to the extent that I don't think, I don't think it would have worked for there to be one big, uh, climactic moment that is like uh, that's that's the culmination of Victoria's character. I think I think that she needed and she's and she's getting she's in the process of getting multiple multiple important character moments that resolve different things that are going on with her. Yeah, um, the 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 one involving the you know the, the memories of of her of her family and and you know realizing that she loves her shard and her shard loves her and all that. That was one really important moment that 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 led to a lot of growth and change um, but she's not done there are other things that she 
that that there there are other character moments that I think are in the works. Like I don't think we're done with Victoria, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, well, and I think one of the things largely that stories can do is they have moments where your character comes to some realization, comes to some some defining moment of change. And then the book challenges that it tests that it tests that change through conflict. And then we kind of see like what they'll look like on the other side of that. Like she has come to an understanding. She has come to a love with her shard. um, And that interaction is going to be tested as we move through the climax of the story, I think. So I think, I think it can both be what you're talking about and that she's still got some other stuff she's going to have to have resolved until the end, but it can also be like, part of that test. And I think Amy was part of that test, but I think she's going to continue to see it throughout this story. And I think different members of breakthrough have sort of also served as different sorts of tests and different, yeah, yeah. different things for her to bounce her own issues off of. And Chris is the one remaining member who, right. whose, whose resolution we don't have. So I definitely agree that the two of them will be perhaps even sort of in concert arriving at their resolution. Yeah. And that's what I love so much about it being Chris is that Chris, you know, from a distance is a lot of the things that piss off Victoria the most. Right. Um, It's a lot of Victoria's problems kind of rolled up into one character. I mean, we've got our obvious Amy connection. We've got Victoria's difficulty forgiving and accepting things. Um, We've got, you know, a person who's gone through a lot. Uh, It's just it's just he's he's a very perfect character for her finish line to go through in a lot of ways. And I, I didn't see it coming, um, you know, arcs ago, but I'm, I'm really happy it's here. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. So as, as we've talked about, uh, the first chapter of a new arc always spends time setting up the main ideas and the themes for the opening chapters, putting the relevant characters in place. And this, this chapter of course does that. Um, the opening lines are a reflection on Victoria's younger self and how much she wanted to be a hero and how bitter and terrifying she finds it to be now. Yeah, and and I think this kind of serves as our connecting threads of this entire chapter. We have this little three beat here of Victoria uh, thinking back and apologizing to her younger self. Uh, this is the first one here, right at the beginning. I, I love I love the, the words here though. You dreamed about being a hero for what seemed like every moment of every day. It never crossed your mind how cold and bitter it could be. And then she says a little bit later how how much fear there would be or something to that extent. I didn't pull that, but it's really this wonderful moment that establishes idea of of Victoria in the first chapter of the last arc, um, thinking back to where she thought, what she thought being a Cape would be and the things she never even dreamed being a Cape would be. And it's kind of expectations versus reality coming out here in the final moments of this book. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And what's interesting is I feel confident that, when we are able to look back on this arc, we will find some resonance with this idea, this idea of her talking to her younger self and yeah. and expectations versus reality. But within the first two chapters, I don't I don't quite get uh, how it's going to fit in yet. And I think that's that's fine. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. Yeah. Cool. So, um, you know, we start out, we establish this blasted, shattered landscape all around her. Uh, the wind is whipping around her and she's she's taking shelter behind her giant gun, which is just a great symbolic image right there. Mm-hmm. And the text says land was cracked and from this height only darkness was visible in the cracks. The sky was fractured. Other worlds visible through those fractures. The people, if there were any down there, they were scattered, few and desperate. 
gosh. I love it, Matt. I love it. Yeah. Why do I think this is the last arc? Because of that. Look at that. Look yeah. at that right there. The land is fractured. The people are fractured. The universe is fractured. Everything is falling to pieces. And there's only a few people left to try to uh, put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's, it's all really coming f- back to Alice in Wonderland. I like that. Yeah. It, it is really fun to, to visualize this. This is one of those. Mm-hmm. This is one of those descriptions that is kind of paused. And visualize what this would look like. It's it's really great. It's really and I love the like that that darkness is only coming through those cracks. Like there's not even any light coming through those cracks. It's darkness everywhere. I love it. Yeah, for sure. And then we then of course we establish our antagonist. It's gonna be the kind of the central antagonist for this arc, may, maybe. Um, maybe. In a certain sense, perhaps. Mm-hmm. The the Simurg, uh, who waits sits and waits to be attacked. And basically, I mean Overall, the writing here does a really good job portraying the Seamurg's invincibility, the futility of attacking her, um, the, the sense of her just just being so far above everything, despite the large number of powerful capes who have come to face her. Yeah, it's everyone here. I mean, even Legend showed up, right? Which yeah. is, we talked about last week how Legend wasn't around very often uh, throughout the story, but he's he's even here now. And I, I love, once again, like the environments that Wildbo's setting up here, I think are so great because she's standing in this place that used to be a park. It used to be a place teeming with life. There were there was water, there was grass, there were trees, and it's barren now. It's just barren. And I love this because it's kind of, it's not irony, but like the Seamurk's plan is actually technically the perpetuation of human life, right? Mm. Like technically she wants to keep life going for a few billion years while while she waits for more entities to come back. But I think in in this where she's standing like is a perfect symbol for the falseness of of that idea. Um, yeah, she's she's gonna gift life or 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 prolong life, but it won't it won't be living. Like everything around her is dead. All the, the this and, and a park like a beautiful park, a beautiful picture of nature um, is dead now. And I just I just like. It's it's this perfect idea, like where you can look at at her at her D on the surface and be like, hey, at least we're not all dead. But like, it's this is what it's going to be like. It's not it's not like at what point is living not worth it anymore? <laughs> yeah, you know, there was something that, that it kind of occurred to me belatedly, but she was talking about keeping this going for billions of years, mm-hmm. and she was talking about like this breeding program, and it's like like one million million years is enough time to make really radical changes to a species. Yeah, so when she's yeah. talking about this breeding program over billions of years, um, I mean, it might literally be that she's going to breed humanity into other things that sort of serve her purposes. And, and it's yeah. not, it's really not humanity anymore. That right. was just something that, that kind of came, came to me um, after last episode. Yeah. I like that. That's terrifying. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we see this part, Matt, A wing was folded around her upper body, but golden lines appeared and outlined shapes behind the wing. The golden outlines turned red. Labels were traced out in print so small I should have been able to read them. So we have this moment where our our villain here is standing before us and golden lines appear around her, outline her, and then they turn red. And I love this, like gold is a very, we've talked about this throughout this entire story, gold, the color the the use of it has very specific connotation in this the story and this world and we're seeing here at the end that gold is changing to red which also has a very specific connotation in this world like the 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 crystals under like the shard world is mm-hmm. red um and so like there's there was gold morning at the end of the last book and here a lot of our 
a lot of what we're working with concerns red and that color red and here it's the gold transforming into the red like this is this is the 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 culmination of this story is staking its color claim kind of yeah that that's a cool idea yeah that's interesting i'm I'm still not sure if i've puzzled out exactly the distinction between like like the meaning of these things other than by kind of associating between different things that have these attributes Sure. Um, I feel like we ought to sit down and figure this out before the story ends. <laughs> but um, yeah, nah. I, I think it's I think it is a cool image. Mm-hmm. So one very interesting thing about both of these chapters today is that we've kind of already seen the highlight reel of mm-hmm. all of this stuff. You could even say that we've seen every critical plot mo- moment up to the end of twenty dot two um, because everything we see is going according to Ziz's plan in, in the, the sort of the future sight visions that she was showing us in her interlude. Um, and that's all that, that's all that's happening here. Beat by beat, we're just seeing the things that, 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 that she expected to happen. And so there's a major element of dramatic irony throughout these first two chapters. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think we mentioned last week that now that, you know, we've seen how the future plays out, it's going to make us pay extra special attention to the details of all the stuff as it plays in real time. And you're right. Uh, everything we see in these two chapters, pretty much what the Seamurks all happened happens. And and we said last week that that means something. If Wildbo wanted to demonstrate how the Seamurg was wrong, he would have changed some of this stuff. He didn't, not explicitly, right? Not in a way that that we can see it. And I read these two chapters many times, Matt, like really searching for a reason where I could be like, nope, nope, see, that's it's 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 different. So we're fine. Couldn't couldn't find it. So we're kind of forced to conclude that things are playing out exactly the way that chapter said they were, and and that therefore the the conclusion to this thing, the the end of it, has to be. Um, a little bit more complex than just, no, the Seamurg was wrong. Um, and that is interesting in its own right. Yeah, I think I think everything about these first two chapters, like even down to the description of the Seamurg as if she's like dancing through the fight is like she she has this totally in hand. Mm-hmm. If there is going to be something that derails her plan, it hasn't happened yet. Yep, yep. That's, uh, yeah. Um, just so one note, you know, as we begin this this chapter, and I think this this bears uh, this is consistent throughout both of these chapters is that Chris is just kind of reintegrated into breakthrough. He's just kind of at ease among them now. Yeah, he does kind of just fit in, doesn't he? I mean, yeah. and, and I, I was paying special attention. I mean, I'm pretty sure Victoria continues to refer to him as my ex teammate. But I was like really waiting to hear like, I'm sorry about my teammate. And it's we don't get it yet. But mm-hmm. like. I, I don't know. I don't think that might not ever happen because, you know, Victoria still has a lot of issues with Chris, but I was waiting for it. But I do like how he's kind of, you know, sparring back and forth with Damsel, who I know is not Swan Song, but is at least there's a little bit in there. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of this like interteam back and forth sniping at each other. And I love Victoria's reaction to this thought that she sees these two react this way. And she says, I had to wonder if she'd have joined, if we'd managed to figure Chris out and keep him on board, would he have offered her what she needed to see? And that's a really interesting idea, right? Like she sees this and she's saying, if we had kept Chris, would damsel have joined us as well? Would, would our team be bolstered by both of these people? And the question you have to ask yourself is like, why do you want that? (laughs) And I mean, I, the answer is because she cares about both of them. Yeah. I mean, she's demonstrated before that she she 
she, you know, she sees something of, of Swan Song and Damsel and she, yeah. she stayed behind and risked her life to try to persuade Damsel to not uh, keep fighting earlier and, and yeah. even, even risked her own death when Damsel was being erratic. Yeah. Uh, so, so for sure. Yeah. I think she, she would love that to happen. Um, yeah. But I mean, it shows that, that in her mind, like Chris is not part of the team. She makes that very clear here. If we'd managed to figure Chris out and keep him on board, but she does see value for him on the team. Like she sees a, a, a place for him still. Um, yeah. and, and I wonder like if we'd managed to figure Chris out and keep him on board, that almost to me has a connotation of her seeing it as like a failure on their part to keep Chris rather than a betrayal on Chris's part. I think, um, I think you're right. And that's interesting. I think that you're right. I think that she wish she feels she let him down. She feels that he was one of the people that she was put in charge of by Jessica and, um, and like we see throughout these chapters that that she is not willing to forgive what he did but i mm-hmm. think she is willing to accept what he did and maybe work past it at yeah. least that's the yeah. indication so far yeah and that, i think that would be very fitting so yeah yeah i'm with you on that so as the heroes begin to position themselves to attack the seamer victoria starts to hear extremely creepy words on the wind <laughs> uh, like like the the the, the set, like ambient sounds are sort of coalescing to say like please sorry and it's just like <laughs> you get you get shivers it's, just it's so fucking good. terrifying um and it's so ominous and, and so one of the things i'm thinking matt as we kind of chase down the end of this novel and, and and maybe it's just because i'm also on the, the last arc of packed right now as well I'm, I'm trying to get that finished in time for all packed up this weekend and i've got like five chapters left but in Wild Bow Stories, at least in two of the two ones I've read the ends of so far, he seems to do some really interesting things with the protagonist in like the last beats of the story. Like we had the final arc of, of Worm in which Taylor slowly transformed or or like was transitioned to more and more the queen administrator and lost more and more of herself in, in Pact. Well, I can't spoil that, but if you've read Pact, you know what I'm talking about there. There's some some crazy shit going on with the protagonist of that story. And I haven't read Twig, so I can't comment there. The, the, the point I'm the point is I, I am approaching this final arc with this idea in the back of my head, and I'm looking for some for something going on internally in our protagonist as we approach the end of the story. Um and it's not necessarily going to be like a tr- transformation, right? I think this is a very different story than both of those stories and it has different goals. And so it, it could be something very different. But I am I am on the lookout for something different and weird and creepy. And then we open this chapter and we got some creepy wind noises and my my like ears perked up and where I was immediately like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> and and I have no idea if this is going to pay off in any kind of way going forward or if it's literally just setting mood uh, here at the end. But I, I was I was I had this mindset as I read this part. And so I went kind of a little bit down the rabbit hole on it. I think I might have just taken it more literally than you and assumed that this is the first inklings of the Seamurg's influence kind of kind of scraping it at her mind. And yeah, it certainly makes sense. Yeah. Y- because I, I I don't remember if if Krauss experienced exactly this kind of thing, but but there was this like ambient 
like weird serendipitous things happening and drawing his attention to stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I just literally thought it was like, oh, the Seamurg is, is starting to fuck with her and, and it knows like this is the pathway to get under her skin. And, yeah, and that's, like the, that's fair. Yeah. And like the longer you stay around, I mean, it could be that, you know, in terms of a transformation, just being around the Seamurg is going to be uh, shitty because it, it always is. That's the whole mm-hmm. point. Uh, and, and that may continue to be true throughout this arc. We don't really know yet. We don't know how how dominant the Seamurg is going to be as a plot element. Um, it's funny to me because earlier, you know, an arc or two ago, I was thinking, I was thinking, okay, so like we're, we've knocked down the wall between Waste and Victoria. There's going to be some kind of, some kind of merging between the two, kind of like what happened with Taylor and the Queen Administrator. It, it's going to be different, though, but it, but but it's reminiscent of it. And that the story just didn't take that direction. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, it was more like, if anything, the Queen, the, the uh, you know, Waste just took the opportunity to be a better host or to, to be a better, you know, a better symbiote. And, yeah, and a they, buddy. And, and yeah, and, and and they're friends, and it, it wasn't it wasn't at all what we were expecting. And I don't, other than being like a, a catharsis, I wouldn't have called it a transformation. It's, a, it's yeah. a sort of transformation, but it's not what I was expecting. Yeah, I um, mean, we we get to see how that new uh, symbiosis like pays off combat wise in this chapter, and it's like incredible. But yeah, yeah I mean, transformation. No, she's she uh, like mentally transformed in that like in that she gets that acceptance and confidence and stuff but yeah yeah mm-hmm. nothing uh, nothing like that yeah. yeah there still could be that transformation coming in this arc but i just feel i feel like we're yeah. not i feel like maybe we're not going that direction with uh with this story yeah so. maybe not maybe not i yeah. i ju- it was just literally just pointing out that it was on my on my mind sure yeah it's been on my mind too i just haven't talked about it because i know that you have only read worm up to this <laughs> point so um, not for long yeah that's true. So Victoria mainly hangs back and uses her laser to shoot at Z's, but uh, she's also cognizant of the risk that her shots could be easily uh, like reflected if Seamurg is carrying any kind of like tinker tech mm-hmm. that could do that. And then before long, she gets a message indicating that the machine army has breached containment, uh, which again is something that we expected. Yeah, yeah. So we knew this was coming and it's kind of like... It's still a bummer. Like that's the amazing part about it to me is like we knew this was coming, and yet still, like in the moment, I think you're so you get so wrapped up in the battle and Victoria's point of view that it's still you feel the defeat that she feels, even though it's there. And and also just the fact that like she's been fighting so hard for for this world, this this second world, and and so you 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 feel the loss of Gimel. You're like, oh my god, seriously? Like we 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 fought so hard. We we you and me, the reader. And the character fought so hard <laughs> together for this, and 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 we're gonna lose Gimel now. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, it definitely sucks. Yeah, it does. It does a lot. Um, and of course, before we move on from this, we have to hit our second beat in our three beat of the "I'm sorry, younger me." This one, Victoria says, "I'm sorry, younger me. I thought more than anything else, you thought we'd be confident. You envisioned yourself standing with glowing swords or grenades in hand, unflinching and confident." So. I love this as like just this idea that she's looking at this and looking at these losses and, and how it's it's shattering her confidence. But also I just love the idea of, of a young Victoria looking at both of her parents and imagining what she as a cape would be and taking it as an amalgamation of them. It's like, of course, I'm going to have like like blades or I'm going to have like grenades. Of course, this is what I'm going to look like because those are my parents. Um, I, I just I love that as a detail. And I don't know if I don't know if she's ever stated that like that explicitly, but I, I really liked it. 
yeah, it's it's understandable and adorable. I, I like it too. Yeah. Um, so then we skip to earlier, a uh, big, you know, section header saying earlier, and this is the meeting before all of these, you know, all, all of the Seamurk stuff that we just saw, where um, during this meeting, Narwhal lists off just so many goddamn Titans. Um, Scott, I feel like things <laughs> might have gotten out of hand. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot of names we've heard before, some names we've never heard before. Um, there's a whole lot. I mean, there's so many that Victoria herself, the cape nerd, is like, I'm not going to be able to remember all these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, she technically says, I don't think I'd be able to repeat back the ones that are part of Fortuna's uh, cluster at this point. But um, I, I just think it's so ironic that there's so many that she's like, oh, uh, I can't I can't say all these back to anyone. Right. Um, and she has this wonderful fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah. <laughs> we get a lot of F-bombs from Victoria in these two chapters. Right. I mean, I think it's a great thing that Wabo's done to sort of build up the... Um, stakes and and just the, the the level of things by by having it be like at first there were like three and then five and we could keep track of all of them and they were all formidable and now there's like 15 right and yeah, you're just like yeah. okay all right this is hopeless you're, you're yeah. not going to be able to win this by like punching these things you're gonna have to find out some other maneuver which is what they're trying to do obviously yeah yeah uh i think it's pretty depressing how victoria sees byron gravitating away from breakthrough toward like vista and or moonsong and he and she thinks that breakthrough might break up after all of this and she isn't sure if that bothers her yeah i mean i I, see i don't know if i fully agree with you on this one because while i do love these guys i love this family i chose to take this a different way like breakthrough came together first and foremost as group therapy that's what that's what originated their group and is there a possibility that at the end of this road here, they won't need that kind of group therapy anymore? They could still remain friends. They could still re- remain family, even in some regard, but not as this team, not breakthrough anymore. Maybe they get out the other side of this and that they realize they don't need that anymore. And I don't know. I, I in, from that regard, I look at this as not depressing, but like progress. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess that just hit you in a, in a more emotionally positive way i i i found it very like i almost found that line more depressing than the like oh we've lost gimmel because i don't really care about gimmel frankly i mean i i I care as much as the book wants me to care but i care more about these characters and the idea that that like so many bad things have happened that they're gonna just gonna drift apart it was very sad to me but i guess you didn't take it the same way i did so that's fine yeah i mean i certainly think that your read is valid um and that is a possibility, but yeah, maybe it's just the, the optimist in me that like Victoria saying, I'm not so sure that's a bad thing. It's like this group came together, I guess from my part of it, I don't read it as like, we're just never going to see each other anymore. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Just like the breakthrough as a team, as a concept is going to stop existing at some point. And I don't know, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> maybe. I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's also, and this just occurred to me, um, but it, it's possible that you could sort of reinterpret this in, in light of her, what her plan apparently is like breakthrough ceases to exist because there's no more capes or, or yeah. some variation of that. I mean, that's very true. That yeah. could be what she meant by this thought. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, I, I hadn't thought about it about the, with that, that future site in mind, but I, I think that there is some truth to that for sure. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what all of that is going to be yet. So maybe we'll just hold off on, on yeah, that. It's a, it's a big mystery, right? It's a big, big mystery. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so it, in the course of this big meeting, uh, Chevy gives a good speech and Victoria says that she almost believes him. Um, but <laughs> it just seems too, it just seems real bad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, I, 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 don't, <laughs> I, it just, I think it like, there's parts of it that I think win her over and win the crowd over still. Right. Like I think there's these moments of like everyone cheers and is happy for a moment and it goes to show how far a good speech can go. Um, and we have to remind ourselves that we actually in this part got to a point that the Seamurg did not see, right? We, the very beginning of the speech is the part that the Seamurg saw. And then, um, and then she can't see the rest of it because Dinah starts doing her thing. And so there is this moment where, where we see like in the middle of the speech, we see Chris inject himself with something and then kind of walk away and leave. And he glances over at Thunderdome and that's wild, but doing a very good job here of reminding us, reminding us of the things we learned in 19.Z. Um, and of course, as we talked about before, because Vicky isn't privy to that knowledge, he kind of leaves it up to draw our own conclusions about whether that's good or bad. D did this, is this good? Is, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know, but Victoria can't really comment on it. Her, her comment is just like, um, complicated because <laughs> yeah. she doesn't she doesn't know the the full scope of the meaning behind it but but Wildbo still has her draw attention to it um, which helps us draw attention to it yeah and I like how it's specifically drawing attention in a way that that doesn't tell us whether this is good or bad it's just mm -hmm. yeah it's it, it, it's you can basically you could read it as yep this is uh, you know domino number 12 in the Seamurg's plan falling over or it could have been some interesting wrinkle and we're not going to understand the import of it later sure um i think i read it more as domino number 12 in the Seamurg's plan falling over and then maybe it's something that we go back later and realize that it was more than that potentially um yeah yeah i mean that is one of those things that we just won't will not be able to tell yeah but i think you're right um yeah Okay, so so legend then gives a speech, refamiliarizes re us us with the rules behind fighting the Seamurg, since it's not something that we've really thought about in a while. I mean, we haven't really been in this situation for, you know, over one web serial worth of text. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we're it's kind of been, been in the back of our mind, but there's certain details like uh, you know you get kind of a counter that tracks how compromised you are by the psychic scream and the idea that like the longer you're in her range, the more compromised you get. And at, at a certain point, you're just, you're just beyond saving and, and kind of, you know, remind he doesn't explicitly remind us, but I think we're forced to recall the guy who dragon just blew up because he was inside of her, her range and couldn't be extracted. Yeah. Hey, Hey Matt. Hey, remember when we thought the Seamurg might be a good guy? Uh-huh. You, you remember that? I do. Yeah. Oops. That's some good theory in. Yeah. We forgot about that whole psychic scream nonsense. Well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do think, like like you said, this is a very functional bit of the book that it helps remind us, the reader, about what's going on. Um, it also establishes this idea that to win, we have to win decisively and quickly. And then Wadbo goes on to immediately show that that is not what's going to happen, that a long, drawn-out fight only serves the Seamurg better, and that they don't win right away. Um, so it really helps to, to really in reinforce the hopelessness here. Mm -hmm. we, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We do get this moment where Dinah at the end of the speech walks up to the leadership and gives them her input. And, and this is one of those moments where like, we know she was using her power during this whole thing, because that's kind of what doesn't let the Seamurk see the rest of the conversation or at least plot out and predict the rest of the conversation. Um, so the question is what, 
if anything, did she glean from her power usage here? And how is that going to help them at all? And of course, the book does not answer that question. But it's just out there. But I just I keep paying attention to Dinah. I think and, we're meant to. Yeah. I think this is meant to be a thing where we're either going to find out what she said at some point or uh, one way or another, we're going to understand what the import of this was because mm-hmm. there was no like there's going to be there's going to be a reason why that happened. Why Dinah right. asked a question and then um, and then she lost her uh, Seymour lost her, her vision of the of the conference. So. Yeah, because when I'm looking at 19.Z. And I'm looking for and I'm desperately grabbing for a reason why her plan is not going to go the way she thinks it is. The one part I'm looking at is the part where she says, and then I lost what I could see here, but it's fine. I'm so confident. And so you're desperately looking for this part right here that we're talking about right now. And there's nothing immediately evident in what they're talking about right now that leads me to believe that things are going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm latching onto this Dinah stuff because I want it so bad. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right that we're going to figure we're going to it's going to be important. We're going to find some more information with it later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as the fighting kind of continues, we see Byron's new power which is pretty cool it's it's sort of like a more organic and maybe more versatile version of tristan's power which also extends to some control over mist and ice formation yeah he seems to have different kind of moats right like he's got dark blue ones and he's got some lighter blue ones that are more his mist and he's got dark blue ones that do like kind of like a spirally coral conch type spear thingy yeah um it's cool and i love it but it also makes me sad because it reminds me that the only reason he has those is because his brother is gone. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's super bittersweet for it's got to you know, for us and it's got to be for him, too. It's like, oh, yeah. great. My powers like much better now. And it's only because my brother's dead. And now I yep. have both powers. That's which is sort. it's almost like the it's almost like the best case scenario. It's like, oh, he just got both powers. That's that's great except yeah. his brother's dead so the, shard, the shard's helping yeah the shard's like wait where'd that guy go oh here he is here yeah. you go oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i was confused for a second but we're good um I, I i don't know if the like the the coral and spiral imagery i don't know what to make of that other than it kind of reminds me of like sveta and her art style um huh. yeah so i don't know if that means anything uh, yeah i mean I, I stupidly was just like oh his Power is water, therefore water things. Yeah, why not? <laughs> that, that's really the entirety of my thought process on it, which considering we have a podcast talking about this book, I probably should have thought about a little more. Well, but um, there's, there's a lot of details to think about, Scott. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think I, I, I don't know if like, 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 I don't know if Tristan having the creepy uh, living uh, uh, dead space uh, creature, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, power like meant anything other than like ah it's this is horrible it's a nightmare (laughs) yeah i i do think like if i have to look back on what what some of the imagery that was really hard for me to parse in this book the changes in their powers was one thing that i never felt like i had a a real firm grasp on um so yeah so it doesn't surprise me that that continued after tristan's death you know, so so um, I didn't make a note on this, so I'm just going to bring it up now. But uh, a, a cool thing throughout this fight, and I think one of the things that makes it kind of climactic feeling is that everybody just goes all out in a way that I feel like this is the max, right? Like, like stuff like Sveta throwing rain 
at like ballistic speeds faster than Victoria can even fly. And then him stopping himself in just the right place and then attacking. It's like, oh, that was yep. that was something that's probably been in the works for this whole book. And it was just like the power synergy that was kind of waiting for this moment. Um, this this very serious moment. Um, there's there's other moments like Victoria, you know, going ape shit with her force field and everything. Um, yeah, using using her teeth to bite and stuff like that. It's cool. It's cool as shit, man. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, we go back to the fight, and like, there's a lot of good hits being landed, but I think that like the fun thing is that it doesn't feel like a success at any point, at least to me. Like the Seamurg. She's still lining up these like trick shots and nailing them whenever she has to. So yeah, so, she's like the the dude perfect of Endbringers. Yes, yes. I don't know what that is. Yeah, um, you do. They're the guys that went to our college that shoot basketballs. Uh, oh, yeah, you've told me about this before. Good, <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. But like, it's all it's all underscored and emphasized by the way she just like floats and dances and and wades through yeah. the battle. That these are all the words that are used. Like like wades is such a good word where it's like. They're attacking her and she's just kind of like, like serenely floating through it. Yeah. It's so, it's so indifferent and untroubled. And I, we didn't pull any of these, but I love the moments in which Victoria is like having to check herself at the way she's describing the Seamurg because she's personifying her in ways that aren't really accurate. It's like, she likes to do this. She wants to do this. And it's like, that's not really how she works and and but Victoria's having to check that because it's like it's coming off as just this like I've won ha 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 <laughs> kind yeah. of kind of movements. Which yeah. is probably all part of the tactic. The yes, the, yes. the demoralization tactic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um so um yeah, Victoria notices that Ziz is no longer holding one of the pieces of the machine army tech and that she has indeed deployed it into a cloud of dust that was created by the fighting, probably all according to plan. And then suddenly there are just machines everywhere attacking from out of the dust. Yeah. Um, it just keeps escalating, Matt. Mm-hmm. This like you were talking about a little bit earlier, but this is this is a this is an action chapter um, and everyone's desperate and emotional. And like you were talking about, everyone is working together uh, while Bo is cutting from person to person like there's so many people like doing all the stops the people we don't see we hear like we hear finale singing we hear damsel's power go off like chris's giants keep dropping in and injecting in key moments to help like turn the tide of the battle it is full out everything they've got and they're not winning they're not winning and and the part i love about this the writing here is so um oh my god it is so tough Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they're doing all these cool things there's all these amazing moments and then it's like the plan wasn't even like like win here the plan is just fight the seamark long enough that she uh she goes away and then move on to the real part of the plan and then she's like but we're not even doing this part we're not even winning that first little part to move on to the other parts yeah i mean it's interesting because I was, and maybe this is like bringing in like too much extra textual knowledge about what the inbringers are and how they work. But like, I was from the beginning of this, and because of the fact that we have foresight of it, I was like, they can't, you can't beat an inbringer. Like, like they they have never even once actually beat an inbringer. They just fight them until the inbringer decides that they've killed enough people, and then the inbringer retreats. So, like all of their all of their like so-called information about like this is how you beat the Seamurg. It's like no, 
that's how that worked in the past when she wasn't basically playing for all the marbles. This is not one of her little like culling missions. This is mm-hmm. this is her final gambit, gonna just rule humanity forever mission. And and I think that kind of speaks. And, and and maybe maybe I am bringing up to bringing in like too much extra story information, but also maybe we're supposed to feel totally hopeless about this because we we do already know how this is going to turn out. We already know that this is not going to turn out well. So yeah. it's it's this this fight with a very real sense of like like it, it's entertaining, it's a fun fight, but there's a feeling of hopelessness the whole time. Yeah, I mean, like if 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 he wanted us to give us some hope here, he would have made things clearly different from the yeah. way the city mercs saw them like like just by continuing along this path that's already been laid out you're you're tapping into that feeling of hopelessness so i think you're right there i think we're supposed to feel like just as shitty as not not just as shitty even more shitty than victoria does here like it's not it's not often in this book that we the reader like feel less optimistic than victoria about certain things right and yet and yet that's the place we've been put because we see how bad it is for her in this moment. We know it's even worse than that. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah. I, I, I like this little kind of like interlude of, of several paragraphs where Vicky just gets to nerd out about all of her knowledge about the machine <laughs> army, like from, yeah. from the days back when it was contained. One last time to nerd out about things, Scholar Victoria. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the important bit we get gleaned from this section is that the machine army historically works very, very slowly. Like um, if, if they will change to a tactic that you're using to hem them in, it takes months and trial and error to change to that tactic. It is not something that happens. Like they, they poke the fence and then they get shocked. And then five seconds later, they poke the fence with a, a shock immune thing, right? Like it takes time. It's right. slow. But what we're seeing right now is that it's not slow. They are adapting immediately, instantly. Um, and, and that is another way in which all of the old tactics, you talk about the old Seamer tactics, all of the old machine army tactics are just useless here as well, because nothing is following the pattern that it had before. Yeah. There's this moment later when Victoria points that out, she's like, you know, they, they're, they're reacting too fast and, and defiance, like, well, it could be that they already developed this tech and that the Seamurg just kind of like orchestrated this to make it appear that they just developed this <laughs> tech. And I'm like, that's, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, it's, it seems like everything's actually as bad as it seems like it is, uh, Colin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, he's, that doesn't, that's cold comfort anyway. And yeah. it, it, like, he's so bad at comforting anyone. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to talk about that chapter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think this bit of the fight where Vicky finds the portal drone in the mist and then fights it alongside Sveta is probably my favorite section of the battle. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really the moment where we see Victoria's newfound acceptance come to fruition here, right? Uh, she's expanding and retracting her force field at will. She's creating mouths to bite through things. She's creating arms to rip things apart. She spins to make the drill. It's the culmination of a book's worth of... Uh, things that she could do all at once because she's got full control of this. And it, it's so great. It's so cool. I really, really like it. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's very fun. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like the, the, 
the the threat level is is very high and, and sort of exciting and horrifying too. Like I, yeah. I love I love this description. One grapple claw latched onto me. The rectangular box that was attacking me opened up, revealing the meat that coated the inside of the box's walls. Mm-hmm. And the creature within, half melted, burned with empty sockets for eyes, human in silhouette, reached for us with a club like hand. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a <laughs> it's great. It's great how. How kind of horrifying this is portrayed as being and also how cool they are for like fighting it off handily yeah yeah i i kind of want to talk to you about that though because we just spent a bit of time talking about how fucking hopeless and dour this fight is but then we just started spending a couple minutes talking about how fucking badass this fight is and and those aren't contradictions yeah. both can obviously be true because they're here right now but i think that's really interesting and in how that's employed right because we can have this fight that is ultimately pointless and still f- make it engaging to the reader because you're watching your character do really cool shit. Um, and, and, and I think like you can kind of get you give your reader a break because you get swept up into how cool the shit is. It's almost as like you're in Victoria's head. So Victoria dives into this group of robots and like does this crazy fucking shit in there. And, and maybe for a moment you forget the stakes of the battle and the doom of this battle. And you're just like, yeah, she's like fucking biting shit and ripping shit apart. And Svetch is right there next to her. And it's fucking awesome. And then you clear the field. Or in this case, what happens is Chris comes in and with, with the, the, um, the goddess, uh, monster and just like freaking owns all the machines in the area and, and the dust settles. And then you're just like, Oh, Oh yeah. It's, it's fucked. And I love that we can that both those things can exist. And I think that makes for an, an engaging read while also still getting the tone, the hopelessness, the dourness of, of the situation in hand. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the, the last few, few arcs have been about this kind of uh, stalemate nature of the combat. Like, mm-hmm. like they're constantly fighting these Titans that they can't ever actually defeat and they're losing people the whole time. And, you know, it, it's 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 all just it's all just this grind and so yeah. th- i think that is the the tone like almost the sort of futility or or like the the feeling of never getting ahead yeah. is is what wild has been i think trying to uh fill fill these recent arcs with and and i think this as awesome as it is it's kind of the same the same feeling here yeah well, i mean it's it's designed uh, dissatisfaction, right? Like yeah. it, it's, it's very fascinating. Like it's, it, it's by its, it's design supposed to be dissatisfying f- for the characters and the readers on some level. Like you, you go through this and, and it's cool and it's awesome. And then the dust settles and what have you accomplished? Um, nothing actually, nothing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's the, that's the frustration behind it. And I think you feel that as a reader and, and you're supposed to. Right. I mean, if anything, they got pulled away from a location where they would have been useful right like like tactically right um yeah so i mean yeah speaking of which the seamer just kind of leaves the heroes behind to clean up all the the machine army mess that she created while she goes to attack the cauldron base which is full of thinkers and tinkers that she can utilize yeah yeah and here at the end of this chapter we get our final beat and our three beat where victoria says i'm sorry younger me i feel like you would have wanted to take a stand here this isn't noble putting them on the line of fire but it may be necessary. 
And so we've got our three here. And now that we've got our three, I think we can look at them a little bit before we wrap up the chapter, Matt. So, and I think an interesting pattern kind of comes to mind when you look at these. I mean, every single one of these beats is a moment where Victoria is thinking back to the her that got the talk from her parents and her aunt and uncle and uh, the, the image of what she thought a cape would be. But it's the first one is I thought I I never thought how about how cold and bitter this could be. Um, the second one is I always thought I was going to be confident. I never thought I, I would it wouldn't be like I'd have lack of confidence here. And this last one is, is I never thought I would have I would make choices like this that I'm doing now. And the interesting thing to me is the first two are things that you don't really have control over. Right. Like I never thought I would be I never thought how bitter and afraid I would be. Um, well, you can't like, sometimes you just feel that way. You can't control right, that. Right. Like I, I never thought I would have this, this little confidence. Well, yeah. I mean, that's another thing you, you don't have a lot of control over when you're feeling, when you don't feel like you have confidence in something. But the last one is an action. It's a choice. Like I never thought I would have to make choices. Like I, I never thought these are the choices I would make. And yet in this moment, she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to do that. Like, like I, I'm going to make the choice. I'm not going to take a stand here because I recognize we're going for something bigger. I am going to be okay with having those people put on the line to go chase something else, something bigger. And I think that's really interesting. It's really interesting that the third beat here is not, um, is not a perception based thing. It's, I am active. I know that the younger me wouldn't want me to make this choice or wouldn't think that these, this is the choice that hero Victoria would make, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. No, that's cool. You know, honestly, I didn't even notice that there were three of them. I thought there were only two. I kind of like mashed together the first two. Yeah, well, um, the, the first two are in kind of rapid succession and then the last one comes at the very end. So. But I, I think they are distinct, though. Um, yeah, I, I like how you connected all that together. That's that's yeah. really cool. Um, I, I wonder if this is going to be a motif. I mean, there aren't any of these in the next chapter, right? No. But no. I wonder if this idea of her kind of talking to herself in this specific way is going to come back Um or, or just as as a concept, even the idea of like thinking about your past self and yeah. and what you would have wanted. Um, yeah, and, and and kind of maybe accepting or dealing with the fact that, like we said, the 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 fantasy, the dream versus re- the reality, mm-hmm. the fiction versus the fact. And what I like about this is after after we get the last beat on that three beat, one of the last lines of this chapter is is Victoria looking at her group and saying, on to the next stage of the plan, I said, trying to emulate Chevalier a bit to sound confident, calm. Mm-hmm. So here at the end, after saying, like, I'm sorry, younger me, I never thought I would be this afraid. I'm sorry, younger me, I never thought I would lack confidence like this. She's gathering those things or or at least trying to project those things anyway like it's like this this idea that i am not i do not feel that way this is not who i am but this is who i'm going to try to project for the good of everyone around me Mm -hmm. uh, for the image of 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 that heroism yeah I, i like that because i mean if she were imagining herself standing there calmly and confidently and she portrays herself to be standing there calmly and confidently then the only difference is what is inside her, which is invisible. Um, yeah, yeah. Which was not part of her fantasy. So, yeah. I mean, maybe it was. I don't know. But it, it's <laughs> it's a. I, I like I like this idea quite a bit sure. actually. Yeah. And then we move on to the next chapter, twenty point two. Everybody piles into Defiance vessel uh, for a flight back to the Cauldron HQ, and you know we're reminded of the ticking clock, uh, and and throughout this chapter, it's kind of emphasized to us a handful of times that the Seamurg is gradually chipping away at the hero's 
that are back there at, at the cauldron base while our characters are just like trapped completely ineffectually and and you know impatiently in this cramped little ship yeah and then they're flying back and and many of them are going to confront the seamerg once they get back to cauldron headquarters and fight them again but i do like that the way it in the opening part of this chapter sets it up is not necessarily like the time limit is chipping away at our friends and family is bad and we need to stop that before it gets too bad the the, the time limit constraint is chipping away at my friends and family is the last thing the seamerg is going to do before she goes over and links to fortuna and then it's game over it's it's like so back to what victoria was talking about is like i never thought i would have to put people on the line like this i wish i could take a stand here like the the importance of this moment is not just is not solely I have to save the people I care about. It's this is it. This is the end. And I need to do whatever I can to make sure that it is not the end end. Um, and and I, I just find that really, really fascinating that like because we see at the end of this this chapter here, Victoria does not rush off to the battle as soon as they land. She doesn't rush out and fly and take a stand and, and go try to punch the Seamurg again or try to gun throw her gun at the Seamurg again. Um, she hangs back and takes the call with Bonesaw, knowing that her friends and family are in harm's way, knowing the people she care about are being hurt by the Seamurg as they speak, and knowing that she's not going to be a part of that because she's hanging back to to do the more important phase of the plan than that. And that, I think, is unique to this stage of Victoria. I agree, because she. I mean, we, we remarked several times on how borderline suicidal a lot of her fighting was relatively recently like getting herself almost crushed by scotty and then getting herself almost pincushioned by um um you know the other one i forget their names um <laughs> it's not over i know, I know it? which no it's no, not no it's uh yeah Ophion? well uh, Ophion, yeah yeah that's right um but but like now and, and that and that was like where she was emotionally she was like i have to I have to feel like I'm doing something and to feel like I'm doing something, I have to throw myself headlong into these situations. Mm -hmm. And now I think she's past the need to sort of feel that way. She's like, well, this is a bitter pill to swallow. This is, this is the worst thing. This is the last thing I want to do, but it is what is necessary and what I have to do, which is hang back from the fight and have this phone call, which is of much more strategic value. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, I think that's really important here at the end that like that's I mean, it goes back to what we were just talking about in chapter one, this idea that this is not what I thought being a hero meant. This is not what when I imagined what a what a cape was when I fell in love with the idea of being a cape that doing that is never what I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. But it, the reality is these are the choices you have to make. These are the things you have to do. The reality is it's not glamorous. It's terrifying. You, you, you don't know what you're doing. You're, you're scared and you lack confidence and you have to make the hard, terrible decisions. Um, that's the reality of this. That's what being a Cape is. None of the cool stuff. This mm. is it. And, and it's rough and it's hard and she's doing it though. She's doing it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, so as they're flying, uh, Defiant gives Victoria access to this to this like battle simulation software that he has. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and Victoria kind of tries out a few scenarios in Capecraft and basically <laughs> finds that they're fucked no matter what. And then Defiant mentions that he's basically running these these scenarios constantly and like trying to model what the opponent is doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to talk about those sims in a bit. But first, I like 20.1 was 
almost entirely a conflict action chapter. Mm -hmm. And this is almost entirely a character chapter. And there's a bunch of characters on the ship and there's a ton of work being done on so many of these characters. And, and, and Defiant is one of the big ones, right? Cause we establish him as a guy, everyone piles onto the ship and it's crowded, but like nobody's sitting close to Defiant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got this like almost force field of emptiness around him. And she's the first one that breaks that. And then Sveta joins her as well. And then we have this great moment where Defiant forgets that like human beings can't operate his computer interface the same way mm-hmm. um, because they don't have all the shit that he has in, inside him. Mm-hmm. And I love that Clockblocker calls him out on that. You're that far gone, Defiant. Forget, forgot about us mere mortals needing keyboards and mice and voice commands to operate tech, which like, man, the dead Clockblocker being brought back to life, calling someone else a mere mortal is, uh-huh. is just <laughs> fucking hilarious. Yeah. Um, but. But I do think it shows it's it's really diving into like defiant as a person and his solution to this is the karate chop, which is oh, it's delightful. Um, but let's zoom in on on those simulations a little bit though, because I think that is that is more character work on defiant. You're right that they're like they're completely hopeless, and there's this moment where Vicky like grabs a group of capes and like moves them towards the machine army, and then like half of them die right away, and she's like, "Wait a minute, what?" Mm-hmm. And Defiant is like, oh, you can rewind and see what happened. It, just check that out. And Victoria is basically like, I don't want to play this game anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. That was not fun. I don't want to do this anymore. And Defiant's response is, oh, I'm doing that constantly. I always do this. I, I play through it on fast forward in every battle simulation constantly. And it strikes me, this is why Victoria and Defiant butt heads so much in this book. Because she... Victoria is smart and she makes plans and she executes on those plans, but she's a doer. She like is not going to look at all the variables and all the, the disparate effects of the choices she made like defiant is. So that's why when that's why defiant gets so fucking mad at her when she does the, the shard world stuff is because she didn't consider that. And he would have considered it. And we learned a little bit later that like he couldn't like the, the, his simulations didn't work for that kind of stuff. So it's not like he ran Sims and knew it was going to be bad, but like to defiant acting without running a simulation first is the craziest fucking idea in the world. And this is her, I mean, you're exactly right. This is probably a character trait of hers that we haven't pointed out enough, but it is, it, and maybe we have, I don't know. It, it's been extremely consistent that she, she throws herself into situations and she is a brawler. Her power is a close mm-hmm. range power and she just trusts her instincts to to help her navigate like fairly uh, bad situations, yeah. And it usually works out in her favor. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's funny that like the whole source of her trauma was the fact that one time it didn't, and she miscalculated. So it's funny that that didn't actually teach her to be much more cautious effectively. Like yeah, like th- that was sort of the point of like this synthesis between like the warrior monk and everything is like yeah like fight but be but be thoughtful and it's like well she still she still does throw herself into situations we just talked about the ophian thing which was like classic absolutely classic in fact the text i think directly compares it to the idea of it being basically the same thing that happened with crawler where she throws herself into a situation that's dumb she gets uh horribly mutated and then she has to be fixed by a healer um, yeah works out better for her that time overall but uh, but like yeah, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a clear indication of like, well, th- she's still doing the same behavior. So, yeah, you're exactly right about all that. Yeah. And I think it I think it, it makes a stark contrast to the end of this chapter where she doesn't do that, mm-hmm. too. Um, I, I also like like 
not only does she throw herself into situations, but she also like rejects the idea of a simulation. Like she runs it once. Right. And it like, it doesn't work out. And then Mm -hmm. she's just like, I'm done. I don't want to play this. I I don't want to play this game anymore. And it's, it's just like, that's not, that's not how she operates. That's not what she, how she, and like defiant is like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You have to do that. And it's just like, it's such a stark divide between these two characters. And obviously we've seen them butt heads again and again throughout the story, but this, this, I think encapsulates a divide to me in a, in a way that, uh, I, I understand perfectly by just the way they each react to the idea of simulations. I really liked it. Another fun thing about the simulations is just that this is like a really cool and, and organic extension of his old, uh, like combat assist AI thing that, yeah, yeah. that, that he, that he used to use. It's the same. It's, it's, it's like he's been continuing to work on this project and it has gone from like something in his helmet that kind of tells him what move to make next to this extremely elaborate, like battlefield scale thing that can, that has all these variables in it that he's just constantly, you know, running and rerunning to, to do like inverse modeling of what the opponent is doing. And, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's pretty great. Yeah, I, there is a there is a clear line that you can draw from one to the other. That's that's great. I like that. Mm-hmm. It's also, I mean, like it makes perfect sense that he's even more obsessed with this idea than before. It makes sense that a person who has made the choices he's made in the past is a little hesitant to trust his gut when he's making these decisions. Yeah. That he wants to see all the effects of any given choice play out in a simulation before he makes any action. I like that. And there's there's one last thing I want to say about the, the, the simulation, which is that Victoria explicitly says, oh, so it's kind of like being a precog. And he's like, no, not really. But mm-hmm. l- like, and I mean, it, I mean, I get, I get that it's not, it's not super magic shard bullshit, but, but it is, <laughs> it, it is amazing. It is, it is an amazing piece of software, right? Oh yeah. And, yeah, and like, and this is a, this is an arc. This is a, a sequence of arcs. You could even say that have a lot to do with predestination, future knowledge, future sight, scenarios that you know are going to come to pass. We saw the vision. We saw, we saw you know, Fortuna's vision in the crystals. We saw in the Seamurg's head all these things that are going to happen. And now with this tool, we're getting once again another beat of this idea of like a glimpse into the future. It's, it's a different modality, but it's a similar concept that, that all, all, there are all these different threads in this arc, in the beginning of this arc that have to do with the future or, or almost like the, the certain future that we somehow have to work our way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it being very bad also. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that too. Cause like if you're a guy that needs to run a simulation for, before you make any action, like what do you do when all the simulations point to badness? Like what action yeah. do you then take? And I love, this is a defiant that is kind of cut off from dragon because dragon, I don't think we specifically mentioned that last chapter, but dragon came in contact with the machine army and basically shut down to run diagnostics to make sure that she hasn't been infected by them. Mm-hmm. And right. so he's not used to not having her around and she's not around right now. And so he's like, I think probably even more reliant on his simulations. And there's a nice line you can connect between his reliance on this kind of precognition and Contessa's reliance on her kind of precognition that when you have this ability to map out the future, it makes you super reliant on it really mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah, and it, and it traps you into pathways that are sort of monstrous because you're like, well, it's the only available pathway. Right, right, right. Yeah, I really think like the more we deal with precognition in any of its forms, I really think like the human brain is just like not built to make decisions off of information like that. Like yeah. it's just like 
like uncertainty is almost key to our decision making process or, or at least our ability to like look in the mirror later right yeah 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 we, that's a, that's a better way of phrasing it because then yeah. we can tell ourselves we did our best yeah <laughs> uh yeah um so i mean i mean there's there's so many great character moments and I, i'm not going to pull out all of them i want to pull out just uh um uh kid win saying uh, about his name i had ideas Clock, block, clock blocker is trying to convince me of Winman. No, I said. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just lost it at that. It's just so matter of fact. Yeah. No. no. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this is great, of course. There's, there's a lot of moments like this. Just all these like callbacks and kind of atypical character interactions, as I would say one major selling point here is like you've got damsel crammed in cheek by jowl with withdrawal next to clock blocker two and we're just watching them all ping off each other in fun and unpredictable ways and it's it's great yeah and i god i know we've said this so many times matt but I, the ways in which Wildbow like creates drafts a character and then just drops them into situations and it's just like okay what are they gonna do now is one of my favorite parts of his writing and and mm. and i know like i know he doesn't outline too much like he probably has like a general idea of the movements of the story like very very generally but i think chapters like this scenes like this are probably just like and then everyone gets into the ship and heads back to the warden's hq and then the rest is kind of figured out in the writing in in, in what is probably this process of like okay we have kidwin in this in this boat with victoria and with some other people what's gonna happen there and then because the characters have been drawn so well like they just kind of start having a mind of their own and interacting with each other it's like okay this person says this person and then what would kidwin say back to that oh of course he's gonna say this what name would clock blocker come up with with for that Windman. like how would victoria react to that of course she would immediately say no um (laughs) How would side piece react to to stuff that damsel saying? How would withdrawal react? Well, that's been defined before. And it's just like you just kind of knock over a domino and then you just let everyone go the way they've been established and magic happens. Yeah, right. And I mean, a lot of it is just kind of the the fun, the fun of it. But then a lot mm-hmm. of it, I think, is moments that need to happen like especially sure. the stuff with damsel i would say because like like yeah so, so like rain offers to fix damsel's glitching arm and victoria kind of tries to soothe her so that rain can do it and then damsel calls out victoria for trying to manipulate her which is, is true yes um and and then like and then chris mocks her for being a kid even though she's making fun of kids and like mm-hmm. it's it's all just um it's it, it's fun and it's it's kind of delightful, but also this is doing work because I do feel like we're going somewhere before the end of the story with with damsel. Yes, I think you're right there. Um, we're we're paying a lot of specific attention to damsel, and we're paying a lot of specific attention to damsel and Chris and their relationship. Like that was discussed briefly in chapter one. We bring it back here as they continue to butt heads in interesting ways. And like like we've talked about in the past, what Wildbow has done here with 19.z is he's primed us already to pay extra special attention to Chris, right? Like we've seen the Seamer chapter and how it plays out. And so we're like reading into everything he does and says. And so we like he sits back at the end of the ship and like right by the exit and like um, Victoria notes is like, oh, he's right by the back of the ship. He could just go grow wings and jump out. And that has weighted meaning to it because because of what we learned in the last interlude. And then 
we have this moment where he participates in this conversation. And I want to kind of stop and talk to you about this a bit, Matt, because I spent some time thinking about this and I think it's really interesting. Sure. Go for it. Damsel starts mouthing off again in her typical damsel way because she's she's damsel. And Chris, like, just immediately jumps in and starts trolling her. Um, and like we said, it's a natural continuation of the the ribbing they were doing to each other in uh, chapter one. And but it's I think it's a little bit more than that. So we have like like damsel's arm is busted. It is not working. It is broken. But she's freaking damsel of distress and she can't admit that she can't admit that. And she can't just be like, hey, please fix my arm. I'll be better at stuff if you fix my arm. And um, like. Like everyone tries to help, like Rain tries to offer to fix it. Victoria chimes in and tries to manipulate her to help. Like Defiant at the front of the school bus is basically like yelling at the children to <laughs> pipe down and, st- and knock it off and stuff. And nothing's working. And then Chris kind of comes in here and and he challenges her and, and belittles her in, in similar, very Chris-like ways. Um, and then Damsel gets her arm fixed. And I'm not like I'm not giving that credit to Chris because the thing I love here is that after all this like threatening and stuff, rain just walks up to damsel and is just like, give me your arm <laughs> like, right. after all of this. Like he basically calls her on, on her bullshit, but I don't know. Like Chris is a jerk and he, he challenges people and pisses people off and pushes people away at every available opportunity. But here in a, in a crowded space with a bunch of people he doesn't like, I'm putting that in quotes. Right. Um, the only person he really trolls, the only person he really pushes back against is damsel who's being fucking annoying. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, like, again, I don't want to give him credit, but part of what he does is, is trying to get her to a place maybe where she will submit and allow herself to be fixed. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I've, there's always a kind of method to his assholishness yeah or, or maybe not always maybe not always yeah. 50% of the time like 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 a lot of there's definitely a huge self-destructive streak in chris as a character and in, and in like a, a kind of willful undermining of of relationships whenever they start to whenever he starts to feel close to someone he'll he'll go out of his way to be mean to them basically which is why he's so mean to kinsey actually mm-hmm. um but but also like there's this sort of aspect of him where he's needling people to make them better, or at least that's my read on him. Like he he's he's criticizing them, but but in the kind of way where where it's like to to force them to confront their own issue and then maybe have a chance of getting over it. He's not just he's not just he's not just being a dick. I mean, sometimes. Yeah, so I think sometimes, and and I think Chris's problem, and if, I think we could go back to one of the one of the things Yamada said to him at the very beginning of the story is he doesn't know where to draw that line. He doesn't know where to draw the line between like needling in an effort to uh, to maybe get someone to see through their bullshit and needling to just be hurtful and nasty. And he can't he has trouble stopping like he even if he starts with the a noble goal in mind, it leads to <laughs> it leads to just becoming hurtful and awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, maybe here we're seeing that change a little bit. I, I, I again, I, I feel like when it comes to Chris, I am just consistently being optimistic to a point that I think it's damaging my ability to read the story objectively. But, 
um, I don't know. I, I did. I did think like I was just thinking of like how bad Chris could be in this contained space with all these people. He could be like really, really, really nasty to a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, and he's not. It's it, he's got a lot on his mind at this point, I think. And yeah, yeah true. Yeah. True. I mean, I think I think the one thing is like we all kind of know a few Chris's in, in our world who. Yeah. Like. It, it it is the lovable asshole trope. He's definitely crossed a few lines in the story, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he's but that doesn't mean he's not still the lovable asshole trope. I guess is how I would phrase it. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we get the fun discussion of uh, the neurosurgeon's fingers on trophy wife's trophy rack, <laughs> which is just a really great way of reminding us and reinforcing reinforcing like that this is a group of heroes and villains and good people and awful fucking terrible people yeah um which like it's easy to forget when you get like swept up into the story and like not, these people they're working with are bad in a lot of ways right yeah i mean it, it, a lot of the humor here for me comes with like the major malfunctions being in next to these guys and they're just like oh <laughs> yeah. my god yeah 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 i also like this brings me back to like the the strategy that Victoria takes with Damsel when she is trying to manipulate her into getting her arm fixed, where she basically falls back on the old uh, hero villain paradigm, where she basically like this is how things work. Like we rib each other, we poke at each other, and we, but what when the chips come down, we get together and we keep like ribbing at each other and and poking each other, but like we, we still we don't like get violent, and it it doesn't it doesn't work on damsel, but I think it is very interesting that we have Victoria, like reintroduce that idea of the truce, the, the, the cops and robbers paradigm here. Um, and then, and then remind us of why it's necessary sometimes as you have a villain who's holding human fingers that she took from, okay, he was a jerk. Uh-huh. He's definitely a jerk, but <laughs> still you take some fingers. It was, it was, it was willing. He, he gave the fingers willingly. So it's fine. Well, he gave the first ones willingly. And then he asked, um, he asked to pay back, uh, that which was owed. And she took his fingers instead. (laughs) So, but yeah, well, you know, the fingers are helping. Beggars can't be choosers. The fingers are helping everyone. Yeah. It's better this way. I mean, that is the interesting thing that the, the, like when, when Victoria challenges her on what she did, her, idea is like well this guy is contributing more to stop the end of the world than the rest of them the rest of them being non-powered people quicker fingers and better hand-eye coordination for me and everyone around me and who comes the defense of the normies matt who victoria dallin yeah defends the humans uh-huh um she says a good share of them are down in the crystal landscape preparing to bomb it again i wouldn't be so sure they're not making an impact um, I really like if we look back on it, the moment where Victoria gives this rousing speech and humanity responds is really, I think, where we kind of saw Victoria come back from the brink of of fuck them like fuck these fuck the normies. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's like I think when this book is all said and done, we'll look back at that as a big turning point moment for her. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, it's funny because there was so much of this book where she did have that attitude. Um, yeah it was kind of reinforced by characters like Nieves and uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think there, there've been more than a, a small number of, of instances like that, but yeah, I mean, see, seeing them kind of do their part to fight the battle, she, she really has come around on it. And, and now this is her attitude. It's one of the many ways in which she has changed actually. Yeah, definitely. So um, we, then we start seeing the Seamurgs progress in cooking the inhabitants of the cauldron HQ to a nice <laughs> brainwashed shade of red 
via kind of defiance uh, sensors, I guess. And um, defiance says that his battle simulations do not show a promising outcome for what lies ahead. Yeah. Um, so I th- this is I, I love this moment. I love the moment where, where she's looking at the simulation and seeing everyone get brainwashed and she realizes that this isn't a simulation, that this is what's literally happening right now, that she's looking at what's happening at headquarters right now and she freaks the hell out about it. Yeah. And I love the the order of people she lists when she realizes these people are in, are in danger and are going to be um, hypnotized or brainwashed or taken over or made into a C-Merc bomb, whatever you want to call it. She says, Kenzie, the heartbroken, tattletale my sister. Um, and of course we, it's cleverly divided into two paragraphs, right? Like Kenzie, the heartbroken tattletale, all one sentence paragraph break my sister, which is, I think makes it clear to me that like the top are people I care about that are in danger. (laughs) The bottom is, Oh, this could be bad. (laughs) If, if, if this power gets, is, is Seamerg bombed, this could be bad. Um, but I really like that. I love, I love that the heartbroken are listed there. Like, and tattletale makes the cut, you know, like, Like, these are people that she cares about. Of course, Kenzie's first. She loves Kenzie. But Tattletail is on that list. And the heart, rest of the Heartbroken are on that list. And yes, they could also, like, you, like literally just referring to how bad it would be if these people are Seamerg bombed. But um, I, 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 really, I, I really like that. I like how that's structurally done. I like how it draws attention to it. Um, and we see the, the people she's worried about and the people she's worried about about (laughs) yeah right i mean i i think it i think it can be read both ways and maybe should be read both ways but i definitely interpreted especially specifically the spacing choice to be like the people i like and the person i don't like yeah um but but both but both groups are equally scary uh well not equally but both groups are very scary to fight in fact They, they indeed are i mean in terms of you know disasters um the heartbroken if like fully unleashed against humanity is very bad um yeah yeah we've, we've sort of never even seen them really go all out in there like uh, the uh, yeah they have some pretty bad powers um so one one thing like you know just the tiniest crack of light here is defiant says you know my simulations don't really show any good outcomes here like like i, I don't like like even taking into account stuff like you know good good things happening for us I don't see a good outcome. And so you're like, oh, this is horrible. But <laughs> ju- j- like just a minute ago, Victoria said, oh, so, uh, you know, you you plant, you, you had a simulation for, for me, uh, uh, you know, making the choice to go into the uh, the shard world. And he's like, he's basically, he's basically like, no, that was way too far out of left field. There's no way I could yeah. have predicted that. There's not and enough data to accurately predict how that's going to go. Or, or even the fact that she would have tried it was my interpretation. I mean, maybe yeah, you fair. interpret it differently, but it's like, no, that was just a wild ass choice. Like, <laughs> like I can only interpret things that sort of make a degree of sense that like I can, I can, you know, program them in as like what a person would do. And that sure. was just a, such a strange choice that, and so, and so my thought based on that is like, well, his battle computer predicts a terrible outcome and so if they're going to have anything other than a terrible outcome it's going to require another wild ass choice something very unpredictable and strange that that only someone as as balls out as victoria would even attempt i like this and and i like how maybe the, the solution to this whole thing needs to be like stop fucking listening to all the precog shit like like it's just like like it i i think like 
a lot worm dealt with that in some ways, but not entirely. Like I think worm was very much like, this is what the precog saying and we have to act accordingly. And that's what all of our characters like acted based on what, what precognition showed was going to be the result of something. But like maybe in this, it's like, it's just, it's not perfect. It's too limiting. It's like, it shouldn't be the end all be all of the choices that you make in, in your life. And yeah, it, I, I mean, don't know. I'd I, I like that a lot. Cause it reminds me of like, the idea that I, I think maybe one of my favorite sequences in the whole of Parahumans is Golem doing the red or blue and mm-hmm. Dinah and Dinah saying red or blue. And, and he's basically sort of being, being guided through this impossible task by her precognition. And, and it's totally awesome. And they catch Jack and then it doesn't fucking matter at all because yeah. Jack still manages to talk to Scion and, and blows everything up. So right. ultimately it was ineffectual. And it's like, well, what, what were you supposed to do? I don't know. But, right. but that didn't work. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I like that. Uh, I like that. I mean, I don't know if that's going to be the answer, but I like that kind of framing. So Sure, sure. Um, we, get, we get some initial hints at around this point that uh, Victoria's plan is something that nobody likes. Yeah. Um, or I guess maybe reminders. So, so here's something that I think I missed out on last arc because last arc people were expressing uh, uh, objections, and I thought that they were objections to using Amy for the plan because they thought that she was untrustworthy. Uh, but now I'm kind of reflecting on that. I'm like, oh, maybe they were expressing hesitation at the plan itself, not just using Amy for the plan. Yeah, see, my understanding was that they were expressing uh, rejection and hesitation towards the idea of judo being the plan, the idea that yeah. of letting the bad guys win and then hoping we can grasp victory from the jaws of defeat i i yeah i mean like i i will admit that i'm still not like a hundred percent clear on like so victoria has this plan that we're going to learn later is genocide quote unquote in some way um and this plan has been communicated out so everyone knows this is the route she's going but we the reader haven't been privy to that knowledge until the very end of this chapter um, I, 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 I'm still a little unclear on that, I guess. Well, I, I think we're meant to be because she just like, it, it's a very vague answer when she says, well, what's the plan? And she says genocide. And and it's like, Bonesaw knows enough about the situation to, I think, read between the lines and be like, okay, I just, I see what I, I have all of this domain knowledge. I get it. I get your idea, but we don't really like, like I've heard different ideas about like, okay, does she mean we're going to kill all the capes or we're going to effectively eradicate sort of the species of parahuman by negating their powers. And then they're effectively, it'll have been effective genocide, although no one's been killed. Um, yeah, no. And, and I'm like, I'm totally fine with the uncertainty of what genocide means in yeah. this case. Like I, I think absolutely we are not supposed to have a firm grasp on what exactly Victoria means there. The confusion I'm having is, who knows what as far as what Victoria was planning, because I don't I don't know, like this is this is back to me being a quibbly jerk sometimes. But like it feels weird to me that this was Victoria's plan like the entire time. And it just wasn't nobody talked about it until this very moment. You know, you know what I mean? It's like, imp- yeah, and, and 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 yeah, I mean, you forced me to remember that the way the way Chris kind of hangs back makes me think maybe he didn't know 
Yeah. Well, like when he get he get Chris gives her a very specific look when she right. says the word genocide. Um, and, and we are jumping ahead big time here, but I think this is important, but uh, like that makes made me believe this is the first he's hearing of it. Um, right. But maybe not. Maybe it's just like she's saying it and the reality of, of the plan is coming to fruition in her mind. And it is like saying it, saying it out loud in this kind of context is, is a lot different than playing it as a hypothetical when you're talking to the person that could make it happen. Well, like, like, and here's maybe she just never got as far with Amy, like to outline what the plan is to her. Like mm -hmm. in theory, this is what she was thinking the whole time. And she was going to tell like, as soon as Amy agreed to help, she was going to be like, all right, so I, here's my plan. Genocide. Right. Um, I, and, and that's, I guess that's just where I'm confused. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not any more sure than you are. I think, I think that, uh, uh, I guess none of that bothered me though. Like it, it was more like, um, I, f I feel pretty sure that Chris didn't know until this conversation, but I don't yeah, know if yeah. that's just because he wasn't like in the room when she was talking about it or what. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he's not on the team, so that would make fine I, sense for me. I, I think it'll, I think we'll probably get this cleared up though. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think it's just, it, it, my problem with it is that I took it to mean a certain thing and then just warped everything around that meaning and stopped paying attention to what any other meaning could be. Like every time someone expressed uh, like to Victoria that her idea is bad. Yeah. <laughs> like I think defiance says at the end of this thing is like, God, I hope we don't have to use your idea. Right. Like my interpretation of that statement was just like, Oh, you mean letting the bad guy win first? Like, yeah, that is something that I think most people would be like, yeah, that sounds like a fucking like if that's if that's our key to win, that sounds real bad. And yeah. I didn't quite grok the idea that, oh, no, he's these people the whole time. We're talking about this plan that we don't learn about till the very end well, of this it, section. It's still possible that you're right. It's still possible that that is what they're reacting to. And the genocide plan is like phase three, which he hasn't actually told anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, she's also said stuff offhand, like the wardens had their plan. Yeah, we don't know what that is either. No, we don't. Yeah. So, so I think this is just um, there are certain things that are being kept from us intentionally, and we just kind of need to continue to exist in the state of being like, well, we'll find out eventually. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing makes me think like what the what the process of like reading the final chapter of Ward or Worm would have been like if I was reading it piecemeal mm -hmm. and and having to talk between it like i'm sure there's moments in that where i would be like i am so fucking confused what the hell's going on but when you get to read it in one big chunk and talk about it in one big chunk like we did obviously this becomes very clear like what like what would our conclusion have been to the first time taylor starts like not speaking english right. if we didn't have the payoff to that readily at hand you yeah know? right i mean even even when i was reading it i think i was like like texting my brother like a lot of typos in this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's I think this is one of the unique fun parts about reading a book serially like this is at, at this level, it could just be like, I am so fucking confused. What, who, where, when, why? And then like two days later, a chapter comes out and you're like, oh, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and that that confusion was was part of it. Yeah, the whole time. I guess we don't talk about this very much, but this is definitely something that Wildbo and all authors do where they kind of maintain intentional uncertainty so that you'll have a few different ideas about what something could be and then it all eventually collapses down to one um at some sure. point sure, when, sure, when sure. they when they want it to so okay yeah. yeah that's enough tangent talking about that let's sounds good <laughs> let's move on
Uh, so I love this short conversation between Byron and um, the two flock Brockton Bay wards about whether death constitutes failure. Um, I think it's very foreboding and, and great. Um, and the fact that it's kind of truncated without really having a resolution leaves us with this slight feeling of like a parenthesis that's been opened. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it's really powerful because Byron is thinking about his brother and doesn't want to look at his brother's death as a failure. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Wildbo, I think, uses Sveta to smartly remind us of this fact where she's like, hey, guys, he just lost his brother. And then, like, I think that allows us to tune into what may be going through Brian's or Byron's head at this point. And I think that is a question that I've been personally wrestling with since we lost Tristan. Like, what do I feel about the final movement of his character? this character that I really loved did Tristan fail? Like, like, uh, like is, was his death a failure? And I mean, certainly like losing yourself and going Titan could be seen as a failure. He, he failed to accept, uh, the things that he did and he failed to accept the way that made people feel about him. Um, and that is what triggered uh, potentially this, this change in him that, but in his final final moments, he took his own life to give Byron his, and that's tragic and awful, and, and I, I don't want to glamorize that in any kind of way, but I don't know if I would call it failure, right? Like, I think in his final moments, he did something that I don't know if earlier in the story Tristan would have been able to do, and, and I get why Byron wants to look back at this and say, no, that wasn't failure. That was not a failure. It's so complicated, right? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, like you could, you can look at it a certain way and you can say that he succumbed to his demons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if one can really argue against that and say, no, 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 that's, that's not what happened. It's like, no, that's kind of what happened. It is. Yeah, um, it definitely is. And, and so the question is, is that, is that failure? And I'm like, I don't, I don't, Use I don't think that's the right word to use in that situation. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't like maybe this metaphor is not appropriate or whatever, but like, I, uh, I feel like it's, it's, it's like saying that you lost your battle with cancer. It's like you failed to defeat cancer. Yeah. It's like you, that's not the right word to use for that. Like it, it's a, it's a biological process. It's something that it, it, it's just, it's just the wrong framing for it and it's understandable that a lot of people want to use that framing right like it's 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 sort of a natural feeling framing in some ways but also i think the fact that it's a natural feeling framing doesn't mean it's a healthy framing i think it's an unhealthy framing that feels natural yeah i think you're right and i mean i think it's an unhealthy framing in tristan's case it's an unhealthy framing for both kid win and uh and a clock blocker to look back on and mm-hmm. th- that we failed Vista because we died. It's like, well, you didn't control that. Right. Like you don't get to decide when you live or die. That is out of your hands. And I, I, I like this, this idea generally, because like, I think you're right. I think like when we're looking at recovery, when we're looking at the struggle to recover from the terrible things that have happened to us, the idea of saying I failed to recover feels so wrong to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like everyone's struggling with this stuff. Everyone goes through it and, and succeeds or, 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 or I don't want to say succeeds because the opposite of that is failure, but everyone, uh, makes steps in different, uh, at different speeds, um, using different strategies, doing different things. And the idea that we chalk this up, if you, if you just get to, you just, if a person gets to a point where they cannot 
get past something to just be like, well, you failed. You failed to get past that. It's yeah, you're right. That just feels so wrong. And yeah. I, 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 yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's, I, I'm, I understand, like I get Byron's wanting to reject that out of hand. I really do. Yeah. I mean, and, and the, the idea, like I said, um, I, I wonder if this is going to be one of those things that becomes a motif of this arc because, the conversation is ended before it can really resolve. And so it's like, right. okay, are we, are we starting this conversation and we're going to continue this conversation about the idea of is, is, uh, you know, backsliding or, or, uh, succumbing to your demons failure. And I, yeah. and, and I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like I like the conversation that you and I just had and I can't wait to see whether the the book continues to explore that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think that is going to be one of the final questions that the book is going to answer or at least uh, outline an answer on. I, I think one of the things I like about these books is they never give like a, a firm, definite like this is the answer to that question. It's like here are some potential answers to that yeah. question. Right. Here's here's some scenarios for you to think about. Yeah. 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 Um, just I love this this description of the the cauldron facility as a white tombstone the size of a mountain. Oh God, that's so good. It's so good. As we're flying to this, you know, scene of imminent death and, yeah. and past death, actually. And Sveta looks at it and is just like, I hate this place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, so they land, Narwhal gives them just this very brief sit rep and tells them to dive in. But Victoria doesn't dive in. She's held back by the call from Riley, uh, which um she has said that she would field. Mm-hmm. So we recap the bit of conversation which we saw in the Seamurg's future site, again verifying that this is the future that you know, she saw without any yeah. deviation or, or anything. And um, I, I just for the, like as a writing trick, I think it's it's made extra clear that this is indeed the same conversation because Sarah uses this very memorable, the, the you know, the benefits of being dubious phrase, which which is such a very cl- clever turn of phrase that definitely stuck in our mind the first time through. And so when we hear it said again, we're like, OK, yeah, this is that this is that conversation. Um we don't have to yeah. wonder about that. Yeah. I mean, this is to me, Matt, my favorite part of this week's chapters, like how this plays out is just so wonderful. We've already talked about how Wild Bo has primed us to pay extra special attention to Chris during this entire thing. And then there's several individual moments during this that like ramp up to the call where you're just like screaming at Chris to just like go away. Like uh-huh. the team, the team walks off and Byron asks Chris if he's coming and Chris is like, I'll catch up later. And you're just like, no, <laughs> no, yeah. go with him. Byron, tell him you need his help or something. Yeah. Um, and then there's this, this moment where like Victoria sees Chris, like react to an auditory stimulus and he's like, Oh, he's listening in on the call. And you're like, no, tell no. him not to listen in. Tell him this is private. Tell him no. Um, and then, so you're like primed for this and then we're listening in on the conversation and we, we see the two phrases that the seamer pointed out towards us. We see her say the flock is disturbed and we see Bonesaw say, I kind of don't mind being on my own. And to me, I, it was just like this moment like of just utter defeat. Like, <laughs> and I think like this is one of those moments in which like the subversion here is that it wasn't subverted, that like things just play out exactly the way they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. And like, I was really like when when I said last week, when I said 
I'm going to be paying extra special attention to this phrase. I kind of don't mind being on my own. And, and I, and I said, um, if it's told the exact same way, that means something, but if it's told differently, that means something too. And when I said that in the back of my mind, I was like, well, it's definitely not going to be the exact same phrase. Like it's definitely going to be a slightly different phrase or said in a slightly different order or under a different context or something like that. And it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not, it is just exactly what the Seamark said. It, It plays out exactly the way she saw everything play out. Um, and like, it's, it's, it's so heartbreaking and, and defeating in a, in a, a lot of different ways. And I let myself feel that. And then I let myself kind of come to a place in which it makes sense for me and everything's going to be okay <laughs> because of course, everything's going to play out exactly how it was supposed to. That's how precognition works in, in a, in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. But I think like the choice that Chris is, is going to have to make here. And I do think at the end of the day, you know, we could talk about free will versus determinism all day, but I think the character is going to be given an option and, and is going to make it a choice. And I think as we talked about at the very beginning of the show, I think the choice that Chris makes is going to come down to Victoria is going to come down to the way Victoria looks at Chris as a person. Um, the, the things that he's done, the things that he's done to other people, the things that he's done to her, the things that he's said and the ways that he's acted and, and every little moment from the first time she went to check on him at the orphanage to, to right now is going to play into the interaction between these two characters and, and what each of them chooses to do is going to the, the fate of the world hinges on it. Um, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I I think it's definitely going to be something along those lines. Um, what form it takes. I'm excited to see. I, I, I definitely, I mean, one way or another, it's going to be some big thing with these two people for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course we catch up to what we were talking about earlier where Victoria tells us what her plan is. It's a uh, genocide of, oh. I mean, I guess parahumans. I mean, we can't be sure what it means. She says us, us. Yeah. Us. And you know, I've, I've, I've thought for some time that the end of the story might involve powers being removed from the world and I suppose there's a chance that killing all parahumans would do something that impacts the shards. I, I don't know. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, honestly, what I think is that I doubt the conclusion of the story is going to be Victoria just saying like, well, we all got to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, I do. Let's let's just think about this for a minute, though, because I think I think if we look at what the the arc kind of started with, we see that chapter one was this three beat of Victoria reminiscing about being a cape and about uh, what she thought being a cape was and what being a cape ended up being. And to that young girl, to that young Victoria, being a cape was the most important thing in the world. It, it was everything. And that desire continued even from, even after she got powers, like, and, and it's this wonderful, like, it's wonderful contradiction in her that we talked about a few weeks ago about this idea that she hates her powers, but she loves her powers. Like it it is this idea that like she loves being a Cape, being a Cape is the most important thing. Powers are the most important thing. The coolest thing. I love these things and I hate them. I hate them because they connect me to some of the worst moments of my life. I hate them because of what they did to me. And, and she got to a point where she became, she accepted them. She accepted the good parts um, focused on those good parts and, and allowed the bad parts to just be where they belong. And I don't know, like, I, I think, I think that we see in chapter one, she's kind of admitting to herself that like, 
this this discongruity between um what being a cape was in her mind and what being a cape is and i don't know like this idea of i don't want this anymore would be a very interesting one to me Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's kind of you know in, in the same bucket of all of these feelings about being a cape is this idea where she's like i don't expect to live long you know, I expect mm-hmm. to die before I'm 30 and, and all the, I don't know if she's yeah. had that exact thought, but, but she thinks very similar things where like, yeah, we all, we all die in combat. We don't live long. It's a, it's, it's very, it's actually very similar to, to Damsel's attitude, although she uses different language for it where it's like, yeah, it's, it's violent world and it's, it's terrible. And, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's awful. And like, maybe that has something to do with why you keep throwing yourself into these su- suicidal situations is you don't think that, you can possibly survive. So the idea yeah. of you don't value your some, life. Yeah. Yeah. Getting some kind of end where she gets to tap out and be like, okay, I retire, you know, cause, sure. cause they say parahumans can't retire, but like, what if they could? Right. Or, right. Or what if they, what if they had to, I mean, and genocide is such a specific, powerful word to pull here, right? Like yeah. that word has a lot of connotation, a lot of meaning behind it. And I just, I, I wonder like, it could be one of those things where like Victoria is, tends to be a dramatic person and she knows that word is going to stir a lot of drama um, and and um, Riley is going to react to it in a certain way. But I mean, you start thinking about like, OK, well, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to genocide us, us being those with powers? And I mean, it could just be as simple as capes, the concept of capes no longer exist as we know them today. And that could be what we've been talking about with like that. We, we find a way to separate shard from human through some wackiness. And then, so capes don't exist anymore. It could be a, a, a symbiosis on the likes of which Victoria has achieved. Um, and therefore the co- like the line blurs to where us is not a thing anymore. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that like kill them all. is just not, I don't, I don't see that as being the end point here. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I I think it's going to be some creative thing that I haven't necessarily thought of because I mean, it's something that you need a biotinker to do because that's kind of the, the one rule it it needed to be Amy or Bonesaw and apparently Bonesaw and Chris can do it in conjunction. So yeah. um, Something with wetware and and maybe brains or or something yeah it's gonna be bloody it's gonna be messy um yeah. nobody nobody likes it right I, I think i think you know in in this story we've had so many beats of like nursery and um egg and you know like all, all these all these gross body horror things like i want i do wonder if there's going to be a an element of the body horror to whatever this ends up being like and, and remember the uh the element of uh like it seemed like in in the previous worlds people or you know the alien species that that were fighting the entities would like merge themselves together into a big yeah. pile yeah so that's on the table i guess yeah i mean i think thematically the um acceptance and arrangement that victoria has reached with the fragile one it would make sense for that to be a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, this unique relationship Victoria has with her shard either helps precipitate the actual act or is what allowed her to get the idea. Um, makes sense. Like from just from a narrative perspective. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of want to make the not prediction, but the assumption that it goes through that in some way. Um, 
where it goes. I mean, I don't know. I like, I think, you know, when we just look at it from a 500 foot level, like the word genocide is used here to make us have these conversations, right. To make us think about this in this specific way. It is such a loaded word that it, it, it spurs a lot of conflicting feelings like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think so. Uh, So yeah, but Riley is very reluctant for personal reasons. She doesn't want to be that person anymore. Yeah. Um, And she also can't make it there in time. But then Chris says he can do it. And then as he's like transformed into a rat, physically regressing into his lab rat state, Mm -hmm. um, he he says, yeah, let me do the genocide thing. Yeah. So (laughs) this is my in my moments of desperation where I was like, this means that things are going differently. Right. Don't they? And I I went back to 19.Z to try to get verification and there is this line that the seamer has where it says he would think he was not a part of society he offered no helping hands and he needed none um and then i was like well look here he just offered to help that means that things are different unfortunately matt that line i just read to you comes after a line that that says these events would precipitate a thought minutes after the conversation with riley riley grace davis so Basically, the order of events here is they get off the phone and then a couple minutes later, Chris has a thought. And that thought is a combination of everything that Seamrick has set up and it sends him down this path of I don't need anybody. I'm getting out of here. Mm -hmm. So the idea that he says, I'll do it here does not directly contradict anything the Seamrick has predicted. Unfortunately, I wish it did. I wish it did. It doesn't. Um it is not until after he has the thought, the the minutes following this conversation, that he fully embraces this idea of, I don't need to be a part of society, I don't need to help anyone, and I don't need any help myself. So, I wish I could say that, yes, obviously here, he says I'm going to help. So, therefore, you're wrong, no. Seymour. No, no, no. Unfortunately, no. no. In, in fact, I bet we see this moment in the next chapter, which has probably already been released. But anyway... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I bet. I bet we see the moment where it precipitates this thought, and we see his his reaction to this. Yeah, and I think that's going to be really interesting because my my immediate question to that is: okay, how does Wildbo show that through Victoria? Yeah, right. And I mean, I have to guess. I, I like. I think the thought is going to happen. Like, I think it is going to happen. Something is going to pop into Chris's head. We are going to see a change in behavior in Chris that happens early in the next chapter. And then that is going to lead to an argument or 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 something between Victoria and Chris. And that's going to be huge. I think so. Yeah, I think we'll I think we'll know when we see it. Put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Scott, that was the chapters. That was it. Let's that do our it. discussion question. Um, so the discussion question from last week was what, who are your favorite siblings in pair humans? Uh, Daedalus Fallen lists some honorable mentions, but goes with Amy and Victoria and they say, who could have guessed, right? So original to choose the protagonist and her sister. I know, but their relationship <laughs> has so many things in it that I can't even fathom how hard it must be to write such a long running successful and literary sense relationship between two fictional people. In the beginning of Worm, they were the dynamic duo of heroes composed of the popular girl and her shy adopted sister. Combine that with Amy's trials and tribulations, and you get a compelling character that bounces off one another perfectly. Then Victoria gets mind whammy. Their relationship changes in a heartbeat, and suddenly their story just got a hell of a lot darker. We hear about Amy's past some more, with their sisterhood being a critical connection that gets explored beautifully and tragically. 
I think it would be a little redundant to go on and on about what their relationship looks like in Ward, but there's no questioning that the duo have had more high-quality, plot-relevant relationship drama than any, any other siblings in the Parahumans universe. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely true. Definitely true. And I was, like, I, I when you posed this question, Matt, these were the two I thought about, and despite the fact that, like, this is a disgusting, um, like, awful, <laughs> awful relationship, um, I, I do find in in a, a narrative sense, it's really interesting and fascinating. And these are two extremely complex characters. And I, I as frustrated as I was and disgusted I was with Amy so many times throughout the story, uh, I always liked reading those parts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good storytelling. It makes you feel things. Yep. 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 All right. Next, we have a uh, scavenger five eight eight two and Das Nouveau, who both uh, picked. Nix and Nix. <laughs> mm-hmm. The twin cauldron capes where one became a case 53 and the other didn't. Um, I think scavenger said this is not, not their favorite, but they just, and both of them expressed interest in just, I want to know more about these people. Like one of them joins the Vegas wards and the other ends up as on, on the slaughterhouse nine. And those are two people that like started at the same time and took way different paths. And they, they both want to learn more about them. And yeah. I do too. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I always kind of felt that way. Um, it yeah. seemed seemed like there was a fun backstory there. Like, why why did they choose to take the vial in the first place? You know, or 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 did they? You know, th- yeah. those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarah Penguin says, when a dangerous supervillain declared herself a warlord and almost carved a guy up in front of a crowd, Sierra cared about her brother enough to approach that villain. This love for her brother leads her down a path that became that becomes. Uh, the front for villains and being the legal the legal owner of a dimensional portal, and at the end of the day, what is the point of family without being the owner of a dimensional portal? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a good answer. Um, I forgot about them, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Me Sierra, too. I love Sierra. Sierra's brother is n- not anyone that we know, right? No, I don't okay. think yeah. so. I mean, I think we met them, but they're not like still in the story. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So next we have Jubidoo, who answers the question with Victoria and Sveta. I know they're not technically sisters, but both Crystal and Mark have said that they consider Sveta part of the family. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Sibling relationships in the Parahumans universe are rough. Heartbringers kids, Aisha and Brian, Capricorn, even when they're relatively good, the emphasis has to be on relatively. This is to be expected. The kind of people the Shards would be interested in are generally going to have a shitty home life. But it's still going to be a challenge to pick a favorite when the options aren't that pretty to begin with. This is why I chose Victoria and Sveta. They love and support each other even when they screw up with each other it's because they were trying to do their best for one another they celebrate some celebrate each other's successes and support each other through their failures some of us are lucky enough to be born into healthy supportive families for others the best family is sometimes the family that you choose i like Aww. it yeah yeah i love those kids mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of found family being a big theme in this story too yeah, for sure. And and a lot of people were asking us or say, or say things like that. I know they're not technically siblings. Here's the thing about these discussion questions. We're not grading them. You yeah. interpret that question any way you want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you did lose a full letter grade for them not mm. being technically siblings, but yeah. Yeah. then you earned some points back. So, you know. <laughs> um, and speaking of which, Master Vil- Vilheim says Ashley and Kinsey. So that's another 
full letter grade off right off the bat. Let's see if let's see if they earn it back. They say, yes, yes, they're not sisters, but their relationship is undeniably sibling-esque. I love how Ashley and Kinsey as are, are, are as I love Ashley and Kinsey as someone, sorry, <laughs> I, I'm just messing this up. This is my fault. I love how Ashley saw Kinsey as someone to take under her mangled wing due to her similar trauma. I love how Kinsey brings out Ashley's heart and slowly tears down her facade. I just love their whole relationship. Because it was sold so well, and the aftermath, of, the aftermath of Ashley's death for Kinsey makes the emotional impact that much more crushing and sad. All right, I'll give you your points back. Yeah, A plus. Yeah, I like. I love taking her under her mangled wing. That's yeah, uh, that was clever. Mwah. Well done. Um, so we have Penitent Edgelord, uh, great, great name, who selected Capricorn and wrote a, a fantastic, lengthy post about the twins, especially relating to, to Tristan and his arc as a person. Um, Penitent Edgelord was nice enough to give us a, a TLDR on this very long post, which I'm going to change to TLCR for couldn't read. Um, not because I didn't read it, because I did, and you should too, but we can't read it all aloud on this podcast because it's very long, but it's Here very go. good. So here's Penita Edgelord's TLDR. I found their contrasting personalities along with the conflict over their shared body super interesting. I really appreciate that Tristan was a well-realized gay character, and I related to Byron's introversion and consequent frustration. Their arc has fascinating symmetry to it, though I'm still not sure how I feel about Tristan's death. I like it. I feel sad about Tristan's death. But yeah, I mean... I I feel very sad. I I, I thought their arc, you know, their, their interlude arc was... Well, you know, I mean, I have a lot of favorite parts, but that was definitely one of my favorite parts. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I love both of them. I, I relate to Tristan in a lot of ways. Um, and I don't know, I, 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 I loved him. So yeah, great. I answer. think, I think that was the great part is there's things to relate to in both of them, and that, and that yeah. made it so that the schism between them felt so uh, personal and yeah. easy to relate to. Agreed. Night and Guard says not technically siblings, but the Number Boys. Not sure. Let's call them siblings. And their uh, division along the pro-anti-Sveta lines was super interesting to me. The idea that five apparently perfect logicians could arrive at a different answer, that they are not just one deterministic machine, that they can be be more and vary, all because of the connections they did, or rather just number five, made or did not make. At a basic level, this works as a simple nature versus nurture lesson and continues to add to the theme of connections integral to the story, but also pulls in the idea of personal blind spots. Having people look out for you helps you see when your own weakness helps you see your own weaknesses as shown with Kinsey. It also helps number five to act on alternate paths uh, rather than just a logical one, all because of Sveta's connection with him. I don't think it will be explored in more depth uh, as more important threads need to be tied up and with the story wrapping up soon, a sudden fight between harbingers would really subtract from the focus on, as you said, putting aside old grudges, but a nod to the boys getting back together might be in order. And that'd be fun. Yeah, I would like that. And I do, I do love these. I mean, it's funny how they do, they do act like brothers. Like there, there's kind of a, um, like, like a cooperation and also something like a rivalry between them more, more on the cooperation side, I would say, but, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love I love the number number kids, number lads. Yeah, me too. Me too. Especially Jeff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we have next up we have Wanson who says Sveta and Nayet, they're both such great people. Nayet, such a fun person and a fucking hero besides, risking her life to save Proto Sveta when she fell down the cliffs. It's a fucking tragedy she died from her vial. I just hope Sveta will eventually find the village she and her sister came from to tell her parents what became of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, I love that. I mean, the reveal that that Nayet was actually 
this, you know, great person who died very tragically was kind of a, a very, like almost a, a minor beat in the story, but very sad in retrospect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's easy to blow past, um, and not, not realize like, Oh, that's, that's awful. Yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah. All right. Uh, sanity planet says their favorite pair of human siblings are damsel and swan song. Excellent. Their interactions uh, very realistically portray how infuriating it is to see your own flaws and weaknesses reflected in your sibling. That feeling comes from both a position of caring in that you want your sibling to not make the same mistakes you've made and also a position of selfish insecurity where you hate the visible reminder of your own shortcomings and feel embarrassed that others might see the same problems in you that you see in your sibling. Damsel and Swansong also use their intimate knowledge of each other in, ver in very various interesting ways. They each use their shared past to try to antagonize, manipulate, and inspire the other. Despite their best efforts to become different people, they nevertheless begin to merge into one after Swansong's persona begins to bleed through into Damsel's after her sacrifice. Damn. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, that's totally a sibling thing. I, I like. I mean, it's very concise and... Uh, painful way of framing the way siblings can be uh, t toward each other. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I was going to say I'm, I'm in this picture and I don't like it, um, <laughs> but I don't actually think I'm as bad as a uh, damsel. So God, certainly not Matt. He's <laughs> you stop being so hard. On <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, next up we have flower piece priest who lists Roman and Juliet. They are my favorite example of one of Wildbow's recurring themes, that opposites have more in common than in the middle. We see that in Capricorn, in the Dallins, and to go to another universe in Blake and Rose, Peter and Paige, Andy and Eva. I only understood some of those people. Uh, siblings with opposite personalities are a common trope in basically all media, but its origin is often unexplored. You only really want to differentiate yourself from someone if you both actually started as very similar people. I don't like to imagine the sort of sick game heartbreaker intended by naming them after lovers, but whatever it was, they did everything in their power to run from that. Roman changed his name and used his righteous anger to protect their younger siblings, while Juliet kept her name and distanced herself from everyone who and everything with her deadpan affect. No wonder they wanted the other dead. Their whole lives are defined by being unlike the other instead of being themselves. Even in that, they must be different, with Jay risking the team to kill him and R risking himself to save her. Shakespeare couldn't dream of such a pair. Yeah. Um, so complex, right? For, for, yeah, this, yeah. for this kind of like background pair that we've never really focused on much like that we we have a few beats sprinkled throughout the story and uh it's it's still it's just fascinating i, I wonder if we're going to see a resolution to this or if it's just yeah that that's just some fucked up uh, uh background stuff yeah uh, you know the funny thing is like i think always in the back of my head i think i acknowledge the fact that it meant something really gross that heartbringer or heartbreaker named two siblings after two lovers um, some of the, like the most famous <laughs> lovers in literature. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think I ever like allowed myself to process that until I read <laughs> flower priest's answer here when I was just like, Oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. I think I processed that enough to be like, I don't want to think about yeah, that. I really think I just, I'm, I'm certain that that occurred in my head at one point in my time with the story. And I just, carved it out of there and it's back now thanks flower priest very good answer though yeah yeah um dianthus amarensis which i think might be a flower um 
they apparently just caught up for the first time this week. So welcome. Welcome. And they talk about Brian and Aisha. And and this is another great comment. It's a it's a it's a lengthy comment. I mean, and there's really a lot to talk about with respect to the Brian Aisha relationship because it's covers this entire story, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're we're introduced uh, I'm going to I'm starting to paraphrase the comment here. We're we're introduced to, you know, 13-year-old Aisha who who dresses, you know, much older and acts really annoying and provocative. Um you know, we we don't even find out that she has affection and love for Brian until arc 14 when he comes back from this, you know, horrible trauma. Um and and she's not immediately likable, but eventually she kind of grows on us. Um, and it, it all kind of loops back around later to the, the lesson, the lesson that Brian learns that he's able to tell Kenzie, um, uh, in his, in his interlude, like it, it, it's, it's really cool that way. Um, it, it says in, in the wake of, uh, uh, Brian's death, Aisha becomes, uh, becomes much more like Brian basically. Yeah. Um, if his powers were born of a, of a desire to protect his younger siblings, her power is almost tuned to be able to raise a large gaggle of children. Yeah. Um, which is, which is a really cool idea. Uh, they, they say apparently they also have a sick ass combo move in Cody's <laughs> interlude. It's a blink and you'll miss it, but like 30 people are able to hide in the darkness and get the drop on the young bond because Brian is able to duplicate the memory block to everyone in the darkness. Um, that's pretty cool. It's a pretty yeah. good trick. It's really cool. Um, Oh yeah, I like this idea. In Brian's interlude, we see him constantly having flashbacks to Bonesaw telling him she'll carve a skull into his face so he'll look like his helmet. Um, and then from arc 15 onward, he wears a demon mask instead of the skull mask. Um, and now he has a skull on his face. So that's sad. That's awful. Yeah, that <laughs> Thank didn't you occur for to pointing me. that out. That didn't occur to me. I enjoyed, yeah. I enjoyed not having thought of that. Ugh, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Last but certainly not least, we have Sanity Planet, who lists Damsel and Swan Song. Um, actually, I think we've read this one already. Oh, have we? Wait. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here. So, so th- yeah. this one is PM'd to me separately. That's why I copied it. Yeah. But okay. um. Yeah. We. That we was. Read that. That's just some uh, cler- clerical error. Um, yeah. Oops. Yeah. But thanks. Thanks for your. Thanks for your comments, everybody. Those were great. I love sibling stuff. It's my Achilles heel. Yeah, I, I really, really love it. So what's next week's question, Matt? It is, what character resolution are you most excited to see? What ending do you think would fit for them? Yeah, so a character that has not reached their resolution, even if, like, it could even be, like, I don't actually think that character is going to get this resolution, but I would really want to see it anyway. You can even answer it that way. Sounds good. All right, so that is it for the discussion question. It's time to get a little mad. We got March Madness. Um, So there are 32 matchups this week. And as we move further into the tournament, we might take the time to vote in every single one of them live on the podcast here. We are not going to do that today. We are two hours and 10 minutes into this show. (laughs) And I don't want to go on for another half an hour as you and I click radio buttons and talk about them. I do want to jump to some of the more interesting, interesting matchups here, though. Okay. Um, Okay. So I'm going to list some. Do you, do you have the website open I for do. for here? Okay. So let's just go down and let's let's look at each of the our our four brackets and let's pick some of the most interesting matchups we have here. Um I, I should say that that Rain is our number 1 seed overall, by the way. He's our number 1 seed and he's going right through Mama Mathers in the first round, our number 16 seed in that bracket. Um I think that's a really easy choice there, Matt. Okay. I think that's a very hard one. All right. Um, I, right. You're gonna vote for Rain, right, Matt? Uh huh. 
Okay. So let's look at some other fun ones in this. I think one of the ones that I didn't expect to be that fun, but is going to be fun, is our eighth matchup in the thing. Uh, it's Ratcatcher versus Love Lost. Ratcatcher is our eight seed. Love Lost is our nine seed. So this is a very close, close, close matchup. And I, I really honestly don't know who's going to go to. Who yeah, do I think you the, think? I think these are the most exciting ones, the ones where it's it's like um, not not super primary characters who people have a lot of complicated feelings for. I mean, I mean, uh, Love Loss is a much bigger part of the story, but Rat, Ratcatcher is a very unique and interesting character. Um, I, I think, I think Ratcatcher has meme power. Lo- <laughs> meme love- power is, is important. I think Ratcatcher might win that one. Uh, who are you voting for though? I, I honestly like Love Lost as, as a creation um, I mean, Ratcatcher is great, but but she's so she's she's minor. Love Lost is this fantastic story of this woman who lost her daughter and then and then was able to um, kind of surmount that grief and you know and and save the life of the boy who took her daughter from her in a in an act of heroism. So yeah, um, yeah. I think that's a I think that's a great story. I agree. I am voting for Love Lost. Um, Ratcatcher is adorable. Love her. Uh, Love Lost is one of my favorite characters in the story. So. Not a hard decision for me at all. Um, let's look at one more in this bracket. Let's look at cause and effect. The Seamurg versus Dauntless, uh-huh. who is still uh, around, by the way. We haven't talked about our our, our, our best dad in a while, but it's he true. still exists in the story. I mean, I, I think I'm going to vote for Dauntless just because his interlude totally gutted me. So that's that's kind of easy. I just I just love the shit out of that interlude. Yeah, we're we're both agreeing on this stuff. I'm going to vote for Dauntless as well. Um I I I I haven't like yet planned a path in my head on how he becomes part of the the end, but it just feels like it has to happen. Like Chekhov's best dad. Right? Yeah, right. I mean, he's he he has served a role, but it's it hasn't been very central, so I do wonder if it will come into play yeah, at I some mean, point. Yeah, I mean, his he kind of kicked off and gave um like a, a glimpse of things to come. So he has definitely served a role in that regard. But um mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like it feels like this whole fume hood dauntless thing needs to pay off in 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 a way that we haven't seen yet. I think so. All right. So lots of other fun matchups in in our Aleph bracket, but let's move on. Let's move okay. on to the bet bracket. Do you want to pick one that looks really juicy to you here? Um, let me see. Let me see. Uh, I'm gonna scroll down to the closer closer seeds yeah uh, crystal versus harbinger five jeff's a nice number boy that Ooh. sounds fun because because i i have such affection for jeff um chris is also a great character i mean they're, they're, i think this is exactly what makes a good matchup is they're great characters in very different ways um i i, I don't know i don't know I'm, i actually i'm gonna have to think about this one I don't, I don't have a good answer I don't have to think about it. I love Crystal. I'm voting for Crystal. Jeff, you're great. You're great. You're so nice. You're such a nice boy, Jeff. But you're not Crystal, and so you lose. I'm sorry. Right. I, I'm sorry. I think I'm literally not going to vote right now. I'm going to think about this for a while. That's yeah, breaking the rules. But whatever. Okay, I'm going to vote for. No, I'm not going to vote right now. <laughs> don't rush me. Uh, the other one in this bracket I really like is our seven and ten. Uh, we have Sean Gilpatrick versus Camille Armstrong. It's our uh, normie. Normie matchup. Uh-huh. Uh This is a tough one, but I'm voting for Gilpatrick. Done. He's my um, boy. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to go with Gilpatrick too. I mean, they're both they're both great, and they're oh man, they're both so great. Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> Look, 
It's fun, they tell me. Oh, I mean, it is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I forgot about that part. <laughs> All right. So I think there, Lisa is our number one seed in this bracket, and she's going up against Cradle in the first round. I think that's going to be a pretty easy victory for Tattletail uh, there. Everyone be sure that you read the names of the matchups <laughs> because Scott I had is, some fun. Scott has, has had a lot of fun, and, and he's given us so much enjoyment in this way. It's I'm great. Glad, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, what do you think about Finale versus Citrine? Um, I mean... Finale's the right move there. I think but. Finale's gonna win that one, yeah. Just because, I mean, Citrine is a, is a great like character, but uh, not. I, I would say not lovable is what I would say. Sure, sure, yeah, fair. Lovable goes a long, long way. Yeah. In in this this matchup. It All does. right, let's move on to Gimmel. Um, Gimmel is where our protagonist appears. Our number one seed in the Gimmel bracket is Victoria Dallin up against none other. Then just the best, the best intern I've ever seen. Yes. It's one Eric, no last name. Yes. I voted for Victoria while you were talking because I just wanted to get that over with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I did too. Look, I think it's funny that Eric is in this. I thought everyone would get a kick out of it, but <laughs> come on, nobody's going to vote yep. for that guy. And let's let us never speak of it again. <laughs> All right, let's look at some other fun matchups in this one. I think you're right that, especially in this first round, the close the close ones are going to be more fun. Um, I think we have Moose versus Moonsong, the Moo the Moo matchup. Uh huh. Who do you vote for in Moo Moo? Um. Oh man. Ah. That, ah. <laughs> um. I mean, I like I liked uh, I liked Moonsong's whole arc in the story quite a lot, and yep. I mean, Moon, Moose also kind of had his own arc, but it was much sadder. And I like feeling happy things rather than sad things. That's good so logic. I'm going to vote for Brianna. That's good logic. I voted for Moonsong. Um, I, I, I I did not expect to because Moonsong was such a jerk. But I really liked the journey Moonsong went on. And yeah, I liked Moose as well. Um, but there's so much more to, 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 to there's so much more there with with Moonsong. It's such a meteor character. Um, and I really enjoyed her. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, do you think? that fume hood is going to beat best girl and fashion icon natalie madison yes <laughs> you do you think I, natalie's gonna lose this round i think F Nat five seed natalie is gonna lose this round uh i think fume hood fume hood see this the thing is i think different people have different metrics and i can't necessarily predict other people's metrics but like if somebody had a really great interlude that just I guess they both had great interludes. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, Matt. Damn. What See, now? That's why what it's a good now? matchup is like they both had good interludes. They both like struggle and then they and then they overcome sort sort of. Um, oh, man. Killing me, man. I don't know. I still I still think Fumefoot's going to win that one. We'll see. All right. I'm going to vote for the one with the tattoo on her butthole. Uh -huh. Natalie. <laughs> I mean, she hasn't mentioned it, but we don't know. It's come on. Come on. It's there. It's the, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our final bracket. Let's move on to, to Shin. Okay. Shin is where Swansong makes an appearance as our number one um, seed. And she's up against Shortcut again. I think we're not going to have any 16 seed upsets this year on March's Madness. I think we're pretty safe in that regard. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I, I mean, if, if 
I feel like the number of people who vote for um, shortcut here will will just consider that percentage to be like the margin of error for this contest. Sure, sure. And then sure. and we'll just round round that off. Fair, fair. Yeah, there you go. So okay. what, so so fragile one uh, makes an appearance uh-huh. in this bracket uh, up against Lady Photon Sarah Pelham two point Okay, pretty pretty easy victory for for a wasty friend, right? Yeah, I I, I think so. She's she's looking out for Victoria, and Sarah is a weird thing that I don't I don't know I don't know how to feel about her yet. You know you know what is interesting like we haven't talked about this a lot but the characters that have fallen seeds year year over year right uh-huh. they were a much higher seed last year than they were this year. Um, I think the 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 highest among those is Amy Dallin, the Red Queen, who uh-huh. I believe was a three seed last year, has fallen all the way to a 10 seed and has somehow magically wound up in the first round, matched against her lovely minion Dot. Who uh-huh. do you vote for in the Dot versus Amy Dallin matchup? Um, well, I mean, Amy is a fantastic character. Really, truly amazing and, and interesting. Um, I just I don't think I could ever vote for her for anything. <laughs> and and also Dot's interlude was great, so I'm voting for Dot. There, that's done. I am voting for Amy. I, I can't believe I'm doing it. Uh, I, I am pretty confident that Amy is not going to make it near as far in this bracket as she is in the past. Um, as much as I hate Amy, I'm supposed to hate Amy, and therefore that's a good character right there. That's that's true. That's how that works. So that's how books work. The how book work. That's how book work. So voting for Amy. There we go. Um, any any more of these you want to talk about? Uh, no, I mean you, you've definitely got some interesting ones in here. It's just it's forcing me to confront like what I prioritize in in, in characters, which is fun. Sure, sure, sure. But sure. Uh, like you said, we could do this all day. So I think I think that's probably enough for for one night. Yeah, next week we're going to be down to sixteen matchups, and I think that's much more reasonable for us to kind of walk through one at a time. Uh, another thing we're going to do next week is we're going to talk through the results of this round a little bit, and we're going to read some of your comments. So if you have voted already but have not left comments, leave comments. Um, if you haven't voted yet, go to doofmedia.com/slash/marchmadness. Look at all thirty-two matchups. Vote and then write comments in there because we're going to read some of them. Um, and I've been reading a few of them, Matt. And so far, we got some pretty good ones. Some pretty good ones. Great. So please keep re- reading, leading, leaving those comments. Please keep voting. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. I think this is a lot of fun to do. I have a lot of fun doing it each year. So please enjoy it. Please don't take it too seriously. Um, please don't get mad at me if your character <laughs> is not included. <laughs> There's a lot of characters in this book and I had 64 slots. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sounds fair. All right. Um, So once again, that voting will be up till Sunday at around five o'clock central time. And that's when I will tabulate the results and the next round will open up. Sounds good. I think that's it. Yep, Um, that is it. That's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You're all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via our email address at gmail at <laughs> gotwormpod at gmail.com or on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at voted for Amy. More than a mail. Oh my God. Um, if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world that you can listen to podcasts. 
And as always, you can find this and all the other shows we do over at doofmedia.com. That's where you can find Deep Impact for at least, well, I mean, it's going to be there forever, but you can find new episodes of that only up until this weekend. And that's also where you'll find all the details about all packed up, including special guest Wild Bo. Very and exciting. I, I, I just looked it up. 3 p.m. Central Time. 3 p.m. Central Time is when Wild Bo will be appearing on Deep Impact. So or all packed up. You know what I meant. So I do. Uh, once again, we will have the schedule in the show notes and uh, hopefully we'll see all of you there. Fri- 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 Friday for me. Saturday for the Australians. <laughs> It's so confusing. Yeah. Time zones are bad. That, that really is why you're better off just looking at the calendar. Yeah. Um, well, Elliot did a cool thing with the calendar where it de- detects your time zone and just gives you all the times in your time zone. Uh, so you don't even have to fucking worry about it. It's awesome. Perfection. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to patreon.com slash doof media, supporting us on Patreon at the $20 level per month gets you the power to force us to watch a movie or short story of your choice and do an episode uh, about it on our other podcast the doof media what no the doof cast <laughs> the doof cast the doof that's, media the, that's not right <laughs> um and anyway that also gives you access to the uh voting in all the fan art contests and uh being able to participate in the discord chat and of course, while you're over there on uh, Patreon, go to uh, patreon.com slash wildbow and donate to him as well. This is his world. We're just playing in it, media. Special thanks to new patrons. <laughs> it took me a second to figure out what you did there. Uh, it's, oh, it was, that was good. It was I don't good. know if that was anything. Um, special <laughs> thanks to new patrons this week. Badoofs, Sarah L. Uh, what the fuck is wrong with me? Crystal L. <laughs> and Crispy. Um, Doof Dancers. Nao. And John and new doof warrior Tim the Enchanter, we really appreciate y'all. And I'm sorry that I fucked up reading your names. That's yeah, embarrassing. It was a long episode, guys. It was. So we're we we're a mess right now. We're sorry, but you are all amazing. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. And of course, if you cannot afford to donate right now, that is absolutely okay. You can instead help us out by sharing the podcast, sharing Ward, sharing all of this, sharing doofmedia.com on social media, on uh, normal media, on the media of your mouth when you open it up and words come out to, to other people's ears. That's right. You can also help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leaving us a rating and a review. Those really do help us, guys. Thank you. Yeah, and that's it for this week. Next week, we will continue on with this probably final arc of Ward. Yes, when will we see the Chris moment? Will we see it? What will it look like? What will happen next? Can't wait.